Bum, bum, dee. No, I'm not going to sing, but we are going to talk about Rihanna at some point here on the new episode of the Out of the Box podcast. Softball season has begun. We have actually seen action on the field. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury. Tom, how are you? Good. Games have been played. They certainly have. Right. <laughs> we, we're, we can make value judgments on the entire season based yes. on two or three games <laughs> at the beginning of the year in February. In the rain. I've always said. Yes, that's all. I've always said that. <laughs> We've seen Rihanna do the halftime show. Congrats to the Chiefs. <sighs> Officiating rant incoming. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we have an off-the-wall segment scheduled? Mm-hmm. 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 I wonder what else we'll get to. I don't know. We'll see. Are you ready for your trip around the bases, Tom? Yes. Okay, we're going to start at the plate and talk about the leadoff classic and what happened this weekend with Alabama. And what's coming up this week? See, see what had happened was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then we will advance to first. Wild weekend in the SEC that slowly grew more wild each and every day. Including today. We had some action today. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was kind of nuts. Okay. We'll discuss all of that plus FGCL Player of the Week and we two games to watch. We will steal second with Chris Plank, the voice of the Oklahoma Sooners. Oklahoma fans are going to be like, Wait, you people again? What? Yes. <laughs> we can we cannot stay out of their mentions. I'm so sorry. But we've been trying to get Chris on for a good bit, and this is when the scheduling lined up. So we've got Chris Plank coming on a little bit later. And then we will round third with Jenny Dalton Hill because it's Clearwater time, Tom. Ah, uh, yes. Mm-mm-mm. I'm ready to fight through hundreds of fans trying to get set up. Ma'am, that is my table. I need to sit there. <laughs> if you would please get out of the way, I have this huge case <laughs> trying to get through. Finally, we will head home. We'll play the overreaction game. We'll do off the wall. We'll let you know the deal this week, when you can come up and talk to us, and what we might have for you if you do. That's all in this episode, but Tom, it's time to start at the plate. Okay. All right. Of course, follow the show on Twitter at OutOfTheBox underscore pod. Like, share, subscribe, leave a, leave a review. The leadoff classic, Alabama goes 2-1. and one, A frankly stunning loss to Lehigh, 7-4. to four, And then two pretty comfortable wins over Georgia Southern. Pretty business as usual. Let's start with the good before we dive into the everything else of this weekend, okay? Mm-hmm. All right. All right. The good. Team batting average of 380. It's pretty strong. Outstanding. Yeah. Callie Hevlin, five for eight with four RBIs. Kimley Kahalen, three for eight with three RBIs and a leadoff spot. Andrew, three walks, so that OBP, really strong. Ashley Prangy hit 500 with four RBIs. Callie, a pleasant surprise. Like, we knew she could do that, but to see her do it with the long ball and then a couple bunts was really nice. Kimley is going to mature every time she steps in the box, and I think we literally saw that from Friday to Saturday. And then actually Prangy as good as ever. Yeah, I, you start with uh, Kenley Kahalen, who hit the first pitch that she saw into right field for a base hit, followed by a home run by Ashley Prangy in that first game against Lehigh. And I was a little bit concerned because the first game she was swinging at everything. And I think that might have just been a little bit of, you know, being overhyped for her first game as a member of the Crimson She's side. got juice, Tom. She does. She does indeed. Somewhere Nathan Sheehan is laughing. <laughs> But the fact that she drew those walks later on, you can see her even within that game or two, uh, really making that adjustment and and improving at the plate as far as that went. You love her aggressiveness, but if, you, if she's going to be the leadoff, she's got to be able to get on base yeah. in other ways than just hitting the ball. So I, I was really impressed with her walks. And like I said, Callie Hevlin did a great job. And 
Greenlight Girl, apparently. Had three stolen bases in one game. Morphing from yellow to green in front of our eyes. How about that? So, I mean, yeah, overall, offensively, even in the Lehigh game, offense was not the issue. Offense, right. I, thought, I thought Alabama did really well hitting-wise. Situationally, this weekend, Alabama did pretty well. With runners on base hit 372, with runners in scoring position hit 355, and with two outs hit 370. Those are numbers that would suggest a pretty easy weekend. Yep. Unfortunately, there were other numbers. No, we'll get to those in just a minute. Yeah. Montana Fouts, largely pretty impressive. You know, nine innings, six hits, three runs, all earned, one walk, 20 strikeouts, was fantastic against Georgia Southern. Had, obviously, the hiccup against Lehigh that we'll talk about in just a minute. But for the most part, she looked pretty good. It, it still looks like she and Lance McMahon, the new pitching coach, are trying to get their in-game chemistry going a little bit. But, you know, I, I don't have any concerns of Montana. It's Montana. Right, yeah. I, I thought she, you know, obviously the Georgia Southern offense, the team as a whole, not you know, a few years away, we'll say. Uh, but, you know, she went out there and took care of the business that she was supposed to there in game number two after, you know, kind of having a rough game one against Lehigh. Yeah. Good eye at the plate. We know that this is something Alabama wants to do every weekend. Eight walks, four strikeouts. They want more walks and strikeouts. Every team does, but Alabama certainly accomplished yeah. that this weekend. Yeah, over weekends, if you double the number of strikeouts you have with walks, it's going to be more successful than not. Yeah. And finally, no errors. For the defense, infield looks really good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The not so good, the Lehigh result. <laughs> That's, you know, it, it was a game that I've had a lot of people ask me about, and I've given them my honest assessment. I didn't think Alabama did anything all that terrible. I think that they just didn't do anything particularly well. Right. And Lehigh did. And Alabama made some a couple minor mistakes that were compounded because they came in sequence. And because of that, we saw Lehigh get a victory at Rhodes. Congratulations to the Mountain Hawks. Emily Semino is going to be your Patriot League Player of the Week, if not year. Yeah, pretty just go, sure. Let's go ahead and give it to her now. I mean, she she was outstanding, and I think that's that's one thing when you're a fan of the team that gets upset, you kind of look at that your team, and you don't necessarily give the credit to the to the winning team. Right. Uh, I think you tip your cap to Lehigh. They played really well. They took advantage. There weren't many of them, but they took advantage of every mistake Alabama made. Um, and that's what you do. That's what you have to do if you're going to be able to pull an upset like that. The issues, I think, Alabama-wise were the pitchers, the two relief, two pitchers that came in in relief gave up inherited runs. Yeah. Both of them did. Uh, so, And then both of them looked good after that. Right. So it was just like coming into a not clean inning and not being able to shut things down. If you're Taylor Torrance and Montana Pouts, that's not going to happen. I don't think that's going to be an issue all season long, but that was the issue in that game. Yeah, I think situational pitching is probably going to be a focal point this week. Opponent situational stats. Mm -hmm. These are not good. Alabama's opponents this week hit 370 with runners on base, 357 with runners in scoring position, 280 with two outs. The opponents hit 170 when there was nobody on base. So we saw kind of when a team got a hit, Typically, they would get another hit or maybe two more right after that, and that would be kind of a small little hiccup, and then there'd be two more clean innings right after. Right. And those hits a lot of times came with two outs. Right. So many, so often Alabama got the first two out really easily, and then it was uh, there was a two out, you know, two or three, either a walk, a hit, or something else in a row, and that gave Lee High the victory. And then, you know, you come in in the seventh inning, bases loaded, and you get one. You Montana jammed Semino. And she was able to keep it fair over the third base bag, and that scores three runs, and that's it. 
Right. I, I thought Alex Salter had good moments. Uh, I, I think especially because I don't believe Georgia Southern is a very good matchup for her. I think Lauren Essman had some good moments as well, for sure. I thought she looked a little bit too amped. And because of that, we didn't necessarily see the movement that we've grown accustomed to in scrimmages and in fall ball. And I think as she grows more comfortable into the fact that she's a pitcher, that'll come. And I thought Jayla Torrance actually pitched really well this weekend. But one mistake pitch was a two-run homer and then kind of had some bad luck on the hits that she allowed in the seventh, including one that was a defensive miscommunication on a bunt. Right. And overall, like I, I think Jayla probably impressed me the most of – the other three this weekend, just based on what we saw from her in the circle. Yeah, which will, I don't know, we're going to talk about this later on, but that kind of, I think there's going to be some strategic question marks and movements around on who pitches when in Clearwater this weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some other eh stuff, an eh weekend for Bailey Dowling, two for nine, two RBIs. I'm not going to panic yet, but... We saw her kind of get off to a slow start last year, and she built it up in conference play, but you'd love to see her get to a higher level sooner. Yeah, and especially with the type of caliber of opponents they're going to be playing this week and in a couple weeks in Texas. We've said it before, there's so many quality options on this team that you don't have to just suffer through somebody that's struggling. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, pull Bailey Dowling right now, but she's going to need to start producing. Yeah, and then we saw five different people get a start in the outfield, which is our transition to the lineup. Mm. I actually really like Saturday's lineup. The one flip that I would do is I would have Faith Hensley in the eighth spot and Larissa Pruitt batting ninth. Um, That way, should Faith get on board, Pruitt can move her over with some small ball or get a hit and keep the inning going, and that brings up Kinley with potentially faith in scoring position or maybe some chaos has ensued. Who knows? Uh, that would be kind of the one thing that I like. And the other switch, uh, if it's a super high velocity pitcher, like say Megan Faramo for UCLA, I-, I think I would like Kristen White in there because of her ability to just put the ball in play. Yeah. Um, that There's not as much of a strikeout wild card factor with her. And the bunt that she laid down, it was pretty darn beautiful for her literally first career swing as a collegiate athlete. I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I thought Saturday's lineup obviously produced the best because for sure. it gets a 13-1 run roll victory. And to do that in those conditions, I think was pretty impressive uh, regardless of opponent. Um, so that I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think, you know, Halen at the top of the order is going to be a, a pretty permanent thing. Um, and then, you know, you put either Pruitt or White at the bottom, and uh, you just have to have those RBI producers in the middle produce, R- produce RBIs. Yeah, and I would say some people might look at this text and be like, move Callie Hevlin up, and I would say no. Just keep her where she is. Yeah, Let her do her thing right there in that seven spot, maybe all year if you want. Uh, and, and I was also... Uh, I'm not going to say surprise because we saw what she was able to do the last couple of weeks of uh, spring, but Emma Broadfoot, I thought was really, I thought she played really well this past weekend. And, and I, I think she's going to be just fine in that five spot in the, at first base. Yeah. Drew some walks, hit that home run on maybe the worst pitch she put in play right. all weekend. Opposite field. Well, yeah, it was, uh, again, that, that's why, you know, you look at what happened in that first game against Lehigh. You had a two run homer by Ashley Prangy, a two run homer by Emma Broadfoot. You'd like to have maybe scored another run or two at some point, but usually 
if Alabama is playing a team like Lehigh and they score four runs, it's going to be enough. Right. Just one, one, one the case there in game one. I don't think you panic. So now we go to Clearwater, Tom. Yes, we do. Here is the slate. Thursday at 12 p.m. Central Time. That's noon for those that... High noon. Yes. uh, Maybe we'll have some of those afterwards. Alabama takes on Duke. Then Friday at 3 Central Time, it's UCLA. Who? We're back, folks. Mm. Back on Field 8. I hope that's the only similarity in 2020. (laughs) UCF on Saturday at 1.30. Indiana Saturday at 5.00. And then Florida State in prime time at four o'clock Central Time on Sunday. A heck of a slate. Uh, these are all pretty strong teams. Alabama's going to be playing three squads who were picked to win their conference in the preseason poll, and a Duke team that just gave Oklahoma all they could handle in Irvine and was picked fourth in the ACC. And then an Indiana team that's got a ton of players who are very versatile and who we saw this summer in the FGCL that have some talent. It's going to be a tricky weekend, and I think that the biggest decisions that Alabama will have to make, Tom, are with who's pitching where. Right. Yeah, that's that, that's what I was saying. You know, there's going to be a lot of different options and a lot of different choices that Coach Murphy's going to have to make. Uh, also, with possible impending weather on Friday, do you take Montana off a possible UCLA game on Friday if that game, if there's a chance that that's not going to happen, uh, and then you know, pitcher earlier against Duke. Yeah, you know, when I was looking at this a couple of weeks ago, my thought was pitch Lauren Espen against Duke and then Montana against uh, UCLA. Uh, but if the UCLA game is is likely not to happen, then maybe you go Montana against Duke. Let's take a look at the weather right now, live on the air. So right now, thirty percent is what I'm oh. looking at for Friday. So that's last, oh, okay. Well, last I saw, it was like seventy. So that's better. Okay, that's better. Yeah. I think that is an interesting question that you pose, though, because you can make the argument that the second best team, you know, you take UCLA off the board, Alabama will play this weekend is Duke, even though UCF is ranked higher in the D1 poll and probably will be in most others. Uh, you know, I think that makes sense. You want you would want to start off strong. I think if UCLA is on the table, then in my mind, I'm looking at Esmond against Duke, Tana against UCLA. I think I like Jayla against UCF. Salter against Indiana and then Montana in primetime against Florida State because you know she's right. she's got some things she needs to change Indeed. in that rivalry. Yes, we all do as yes. a matter of fact. And I'm I'm sure Florida State would like to change what happened to them this past weekend because Alabama not the only top five team to drop a surprising uh, loss to a team that starts with an L. Yeah. Florida State lost to Longwood. They're four and one. They do have most everybody back from last year. It was just kind of one of those weird games Mm -hmm. Uh, also florida state has not updated their stats on their website i would love it if you could do that florida state that would be swell because i need to start making seventy-five thousand boards (laughs) for this weekend uh tom you know who knows how this is going to go we've literally been and seen it played out to where alabama left with a winning record and felt bad because of when the losses come but i think it is very conceivable to go into Clearwater, leave with a four and one record and feel pretty good about it. If you right. go undefeated, that's oh, yeah. phenomenal. Right. Um, if you go four and one, you feel pretty good. If you go three and two, depending on who the losses are against, you feel okay. Um, obviously the thing you, you don't want to see is going under 500. Right. Yeah. A three and two could be really good or, or really kind of disappointing depending on how you play. And that's what you're talking about when Alabama went down in 2020 and, and went three and two, got a win over the number one team in the nation 
be a run rule, but then lost to UCLA in a game that Megan Framo was just untouchable in. And then the next day on getaway day against Oklahoma State, a team that I think Alabama was as good as, if not, if not better than, but Alabama just had was lifeless. And Oklahoma, Oklahoma State won that game. So you, you leave there at three and two and you were really disappointed. I think there's a scenario where Alabama's three and two, but if they play really well and they finish it off, say, with a win against Florida State uh, on ESPN regular on Sunday, uh, you'll be, I think you'll be pretty happy about it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll just see how, how it goes as to when any possible losses come and who they're against. You know, it's interesting. I'm just putting on my math hat. We've got a, a long time until I start doing bracketology, but knowing what Alabama's non-conference schedule is, I do think that it is important for the postseason plans that the Crimson Tide surely has to get one of UCLA or Florida State. You're going to need those high-end non-conference wins because if that's what the committee decides to like solely look at this year... You never know what they're going to look at. Right, right. and yeah. Texas showed some good things this weekend, some not good things that we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, I don't know how much that win is going to help the resume. It'll be good on the road, but where are they in the RPI? Who knows? Yeah. We know Florida State and UCLA are going to be up high. So this is a chance for two wins that at the end of the day could be things you could put your entire resume behind. Yeah, and you'll, you'll need some. You'll need a non-conference victory or two to offset a Lehigh loss. Yeah. Frankly, what it comes down to, I think Lehigh is going to be pretty dang good. I, I think they're going to be... You know, I, I know you, you were on the campaign to try to get them ranked and weren't, weren't, weren't able, quite able to do that. I did my best. I know. Yes. Kaka, Mountain Hawks. <laughs> uh, but that's still going to be probably RPI wise. Certainly, I hope that's the worst loss Alabama has. Uh, if that, you know, but you got to have something to offset that. Yeah, your hope is that it stays inside the top 100, which I right. think it, it probably will. If they win the Patriot League, I think yeah. it's the top 100. Um, but probably... Not anything higher than 70 yeah, or it probably, so. It probably doesn't get into the top 75. Yeah. So we'll be there. We're excited to go. We'll be driving down on Wednesday and then calling all these games on Thursday. Equipment, test, TBD. But we'll be there, Tom, on yes. the air together. Yes. Somehow, some way, it will happen. <laughs> all right. I'm excited. Can't wait. Clearwater this weekend. It's going to be a blast. But it's time to talk about everybody else in the Southeastern Conference, including some mayhem down in Clearwater mm. at that other Clearwater tournament. Yes. Oh, boy. Who are we, Tom? I think we should be Ka Callie Hevlin. All right. We're Callie Hevlin. Yes. We're just laying down a drag bunt and running to first and in no danger of being out <laughs> at all. No. Either time. Yes. We've put it in play. It's time to advance the first. When we come back, the SEC, week one, we're looking at it. That's next on the Out of the Box Podcast. Hey! Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We've put it in play. Thank you to Callie Hevlin. We've had Kim Halen and Callie Hevlin. That's not hard at all to say in a row <laughs> so far this season. And now it's time to advance the first and break down the SEC's week one, Tom. What a week it was. Wild and wacky stuff happening. Look. Normally, when we talk about Kentucky, we launch right into the jokes and we're like, whoo, and then, you know, right, yes. talk about Kayla Kowalik and how awesome she is. That's not what we're going to start with tonight. No. There is some drama down in Clearwater. In a shocking development, Mike White just in the middle of it all. <laughs> so I don't want to rehash everything that happened. If you want to hear a, a full detailed explanation of 
the timeline of events in this Kentucky Texas game that was finishing up the NFCA leadoff classic. Read the article Justin McLeod did on extra innings or listen to the D1 softball podcast with me and Tara. We talked about it there too. But essentially, Kentucky had a drop dead time that they had to leave. Uh, Texas and Kentucky went to extras tied at four. Kentucky scored three runs in the top of the eighth. And then, you know, Texas did some things that seemed like stalling. Rachel Lawson made a decision to essentially end the top of the eighth by having a runner leave early. It's like, all right, let's just go pitch and let's win this game. Right. And then Texas did pretty much everything possible to keep that eighth inning going as all the way up to the drop dead time, including pinch runners, including discussions and timeouts yeah. yes. and circle visits. Yes. And, and contact solution situations. Oh, and, yeah. and in the top of the eighth pitching changes. And this is something that I've seen, discussed quite a bit on social media. I've got some strong thoughts, not just about the teams, but also about the event. I, I think that this is a failure of scheduling as well by the NFCA leadoff classic. But but Tom, I'll open the floor to you. As you're watching this all go down, what were you thinking? I was like, am, am I watching soccer? I was like, what, what, this is... The World Cup is over. Yeah, this is epic amounts of time wasting. Um, I thought it was frankly pretty Bush League of Mike White, the way that he handled it, because he was playing not to, you know, not to lose. Yeah, we should mention, I don't think I said it, the game ended in a tie because right. it went up against a drop dead time with an 0-2 count and two outs in the bottom of the eighth. So it reverted back to the last completed inning, so the game ended up as a tie. But here's the thing, you have eight minutes when that inning started. Mm-hmm. You get a runner on second automatically because of the international tiebreaker. A walk and a home run and you have a legit tie, not... Right. Not a, a re, 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 revert back to tie. Uh, I thought you mentioned the Justin McLeod article and he talked to an anonymous coach who said that he would be embarrassed to go back to his team and, you know, face them saying this is what we did to not lose a game instead of try to win a game. You're the head coach of a team like Texas. And to do that, I thought it took, I agreed again with the headline of what Justin McLeod said was that it took gamesmanship way too far. There was a chance for them to tie or win that game yeah. within the time that was allowed. There, you know, if there had been like three minutes and it was a four-run game, then I okay. But it, it there with the international tiebreaker, you need to get one other person on base and then then get a big hit, and you're and you're there to be able to tie or win that game in the true spirit of the game because the true spirit of the game was not what was happening. <laughs> yeah, Katie Simmons was at the plate. Uh, she could have hit a home run. Texas had two batters up with yeah. two on base. They could have just tied the game yeah. with a big hit, or who knows? I mean, but to, I, but to do the you know uh, a mound visit and then try to do another one and then act like you didn't realize you couldn't do another one uh, to decide mid at bats that now is a time we need to pinch run, especially for a guy a, a player that you could have pinch run for at the beginning of the inning because it was the person you put on as the international tiebreaker. And then the contact solution was just ludicrous. I mean, I, come on. I mean, I've seen Seriously? an entire summer of action played on fields very yeah. similar to that, and I've never seen contact solution sure. be needed. Yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, you know, just a little much. And, you know, people don't talk as well. You know, when the runner at third for Kentucky left early, that was on a pitch from Sophia Simpson that was so wild. It was like 10 feet to the left. Right. That was a... In my opinion, just my opinion, it looked 
Like, I don't know how you can miss a target that much without it being on purpose right. to have the runner score and maybe keep the inning going. Right, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And then you so the pitches that the Kentucky pitchers were throwing are right down the middle. Yeah. You can tell Ray Schlossen said, don't just, just throw strikes. But we're not trying to, you know, we're not trying to fool anybody. Just throw strikes. They'll put it in play. And, and Texas refused to. Again, I thought it was against the spirit of the game. Yeah. And uh, I would like for there to be, I don't know what you can do about it. Cause you know, drop dead times, unfortunately are, are part of uh, a part of it with people doing different travel situations, but there should be something yeah. <laughs> in the rules. I'm not sure what you can do. I do want to pinpoint though, the failure in scheduling by this tournament. So the action on Saturday, the night session was pretty much all canceled. We actually missed some really good games. I was excited about Tennessee, Texas. Didn't get to see it. The one game from the night session that was moved to Sunday was Texas and Illinois, 930 Eastern time on field eight. Now these are the same fields that we'll be at this weekend at the Tax Act Clearwater Invitational presented by Evo Evo Shield. So field eight is the main field. Mm -hmm. Fields one through four are the outer fields. That'll be where we're parking this weekend. And those are not close. I was talking to Terry Henry earlier. It's a 15 minute walk from those fields. I remember when we played Washington in 2020, Washington was coming from playing a game over there. And they were about 15, 20 minutes late coming to start that game because it just takes a while. Right. So they had Kentucky and Texas scheduled for 1230 Eastern time on field three. I have no idea why in the world, and Illinois had another game too, by the way, against Auburn. Why in the world that the two teams who had been scheduled to also play later that day, no other team except for Missouri and Louisville, who would play on the field they were originally scheduled for, will play another game that day why they were pushed all the way on the outer reaches. Just move Fordham and Pitt out to field eight and have Texas and Illinois move to field four so that there would be a way to make the transition from one game to the other easier. I looked at the timeline. So the game was scheduled at 1230. Texas, Illinois started at 930. According to the Texas website, it went two hours and 20 minutes. The first tweet about the first runs that Texas scored in the bottom of the first came at 12.59 p.m. So that was the bottom of the first. So they started late because it took, I assume, forever to get from field eight to field three because you've got all these people, you've got all this equipment. It's I don't know if they took shuttle or they walked. Either way, it probably wasn't a speedy process. I think that this was a total failure of making sure that everything could get done by the tournament. I hope that there's a really good reason why Texas, Illinois was shoved out to field eight and why they made those two teams have to have to probably run to, to get to their next game. Once that was completed, I I, I don't understand it at all. Yeah. Especially when you, like you said, there was a game between two teams in Fordham and Pittsburgh who that was the only game they were playing that day. uh, And they could play at any of the fields just move them off of that field does not make a whole lot of sense. Uh, so yeah, they were behind the eight ball with that. At this point, I wouldn't be shocked, shocked if Texas took their time on purpose to get there. Dude, I don't know. Knowing that there was a drop dead time. And why did the game be played anyway? Why was Texas, Illinois, the only game that got moved? Right. Did they, was it because it was started? I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think so because. So I'm as, and this is again, a visual 
thing on an audio medium. But if if it's in black, does that mean it got black was canceled? canceled. Purple was a halted, halted game that got moved. Green, I guess, means it's carrying over. Yeah, I don't. I don't um, know why that was the one. Let's play Tennessee, Texas. Why Texas, Illinois? I don't. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Right. It, just the whole situation is very strange. Yeah. It kind of yeah the the failures in scheduling kind of led to what ended up being the game. Yeah. Itself. And yeah, which was a great game. Yes. Apparently. Kentucky was playing well. I watched most of the last hour and they would have won that game. It's a real bummer. And the bigger bummer is that it goes in as a tie and that's what the selection committee will see. Yeah. Would have been a great RPI win for Kentucky. Alas, it doesn't come. And like I said, Kentucky scored three runs in the top of the eight. There's no reason why Texas couldn't have tried to do the same. That being said, you know, we talked enough about Kentucky and we haven't even made the joke yet. So it's time to talk about who's pitching. We might have an answer. Really good weekend for Stephanie Schoonover. She threw 12 of the available 17 innings and only gave up four earned runs. Pretty good. Yeah. So... Rachel Lawson's like, I love the joke. It's over. <laughs> we'll well hold on. We'll see. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's move on. There are other teams to discuss. Arkansas goes undefeated in Vegas, beat Baylor in the finale 11-7, a wild game. Got the SEC freshman of the week in Italia Rio. She had five RBIs this weekend. Spencer Priggy, 12 RBIs on six hits for the week. Callie Turner pitched real well. Interesting development. Shanice Dells pitched fine. But Callie Turner, a pleasant surprise, came in and kind of saved the game against Baylor in relief. Well, and that's what we talked about with Arkansas was that they couldn't just rely on Shanice Dells. And if Callie Turner is going to be able to come in and do stuff like that, then that's a pretty formidable one-two punch, which Arkansas has had for the last few years. They've had a one-two punch. It's not been on one pitcher. Uh, We'll see if she's able to sustain that. They go to Clearwater on the slate, Florida State, Duke, Indiana, Louisiana, Nebraska – that Florida State game is going to be fun. A lot of common opponents between Arkansas and Alabama here in the pre-conference before we get into the first conference regular season series for the time. Very true. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a big column on the board. <laughs> Georgia, great offensive weekend in Orlando. A team batting average of 433. Jada Kearney, three home runs against Ohio State. Shelby Walters threw in, three ga- or in multiple games. She won three. 12 innings overall. They beat UCF in the big game, you know, the big sellout in Orlando on Thursday night. Pretty impressive start to the season for Georgia. I don't know how much I gleaned from Ohio State and Boise. You know, Boise's probably going to be fine. Uh, They might win the Mountain West, um, but TBD. uh, Ohio State, you know, everybody knows how I feel about the Big Ten. We'll see. They've got Stanford coming this weekend, but, uh, you know, and an A at least, maybe an A plus this weekend for the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, it's it's a good start, and you know to go on uh, someone's home field like UCF. There, UCF's a good team. Yeah, and to get those wins, I thought it was an impressive opening weekend for the Bulldogs. Was I wrong, Tom, about LSU? I still TBD. T- okay. Well, they looked real good they in the opening did. weekend. Absolutely. They, did. they beat the snot out of Oregon State the first time they played 12 nothing and 5 and then won 3 nothing. Taylor Pleasants is hitting the snot out of the ball. 13 runs batted in, a 5.33 average, 3.94 team batting average. Team ERA of 181, 
That's fine. I think we know who their number two is. Sidney Burzon was thrown in a lot of big situations this weekend behind Ali Kilponen. But, you know, again, LSU, if you want to make a statement, good yeah. job. Because last year, they did not do that on that opening home tournament. This year, no problems. Yeah, great weekend. But like you said, at home, we'll see when they are outside of Baton Rouge how they do. And then uh, the issue with LSU has been consistency. Let's see what they do next week. That's right. Back it up. Yes. Great job. Do it again. Do it again. Right. Tennessee didn't get to play Texas in Clearwater. Bummer. Mm. But they did shut out Northwestern. Ashley Rogers went complete. Zeta Pooney hit 10 RBIs and hit 455. There is, however, something to note about the Lady Vols pitching. Ashley Rogers threw 12 innings. Everybody else on staff threw seven. And of the 14 innings that Tennessee played against Power 5 competition, Northwestern Illinois, Ashley Rogers threw 12 of them. Didn't see a ton of Gottschall. Didn't see much of anybody else on staff. Is is that a week one concern, Tom, that, that Ashley Rogers threw that much? I was surprised she yeah. threw five of the seven against Illinois. I'm not sure if it's necessarily a concern, but it is surprising, like you said, because when We've talked to uh, Karen Weekly, and it seemed as though they were going to be a little bit more judicious with her innings. Uh, but I mean, if she's maybe she's turned that corner and is healthy, if she's healthy enough to be able to handle it, uh, she she should she's their number one for sure. Yeah. So uh, if if they feel comfortable throwing her that much, and if she can withstand it, um, that might change how people look or. People like me <laughs> look at Tennessee and not everybody because other people very high on them. Yeah, some of us pick the Tennessee Lady Vols to win the conference. Others yes. have them barely top half, <laughs> not even top half. No, actually. no. Oh, boy. A tough weekend for our dear friend Samantha Ricketts in Mississippi State. The stats are actually, like, fine. Team ERA is good. It's under one. Team batting average is solid. It's over 300. But Mississippi State got shut out by Iowa and Stony Brook on the same day, and I don't that, that quite know how that happens. That can't happen. No. That's uh, Iowa not good, Stony Brook not good. And they're going to Clearwater. Right. The, mm. no, no rest for the Bulldogs. No. Now, it's like a quote-unquote easy Clearwater slate, but, I mean, mm. if you're not playing well, you right. can still lose to teams that are fine. Going to get the rematch with Arizona from the Super Regional in, in Sarkville. Yeah, it's uh, not a great opener for Mississippi State heading toward Clearwater, that's for sure. Yeah, I need a little bit more from somebody. Somebody. Somebody's just got to be the person. Yeah. Who's it going to be? Yeah, so no offense, but Stony Brook. Yeah. Iowa. Right. I mean, at least Iowa's power five. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, they're in that conference. They're we'll in the Big Ten. Yes. Oh, man. Okay, how about this weekend? So this is wild. Auburn goes four and one. The four wins are all shutouts, yeah. like absolute domination, crushing everybody, including Illinois. It, easy money, great job. The one loss is to Pittsburgh. Now, there was no Maddie Pinta. Shelby Lowe came on in relief. She was the third pitcher of that game, and she didn't allow a run. But losing to Pittsburgh, now, am I going to freak out and say Auburn's bad? Probably not, if yeah. it had been Pinta in the circle. I might have a different tune, but Penta one pitcher of the week. Still, that's the kind of loss that we're going to look back on, and it could be really damaging down the road for what Auburn wants to accomplish. Pittsburgh is going to have a bad RPI, and that's a really tough loss to swallow, even though it might not, you know, say bad things are on the horizon about this team. 
I it, I can make the argument that that loss to Pittsburgh is as bad as Alabama's loss to Lehigh. Mm. Uh, they're going to they're going to have to get a big marquee win to offset that loss at some point, and then they're going to have opportunities in this non-conference schedule. But yeah, very surprising, regardless on who's pitching. But really impressive performance by Penta this weekend. This weekend they win the conference pitcher of the week uh, with four shutouts. There's going to have to be more than just her, that's for sure. Yeah, Shelby Lowe, a relief appearance mostly. You know, it's clear they're trying to work her way mm-hmm. back into a starting role. Um, we'll see when that actually comes to fruition. Missouri, uh, spoiler alert, they were my 25th team in my top 25 poll, and then they randomly lost to Louisville, so I bumped them out. Yes. Lost to Louisville, beat Northwestern pretty soundly, got crushed by Texas. A weird opening weekend for Missouri, and it was weird because we saw both pitching and hitting thrive at times and struggle at times, so I'm not quite sure what the identity is of this team yet. Yeah, which was you know, maybe the overall issue, just finding that identity. You saw Missouri, Texas, Northwestern do the triangle where they all beat each other yes. uh, throughout the weekend. Uh, but yeah, a surprising loss to Louisville, but week one. Week one. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. Ole Miss, a pretty sure weekend. I mean, they beat <laughs> North Carolina, Wisconsin, you lose to Oregon, Oklahoma State. They swept North Dakota State today. There being no hit into the sixth in one of those games, but they did find a way to win. Both. I mean, the stats are nothing to write home about. Uh, I My opinion about Ole Miss hasn't changed whatsoever. Yeah, they, they pretty much didn't really answer many questions. Yeah. They, they beat who they were supposed to beat and lost who they were supposed to lose to. Right. So, yeah. there you go. South Carolina. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Tough first game. That uh, run rule against Charlotte. But to their credit, they fought back and got a one-run victory over Miami and then held on for dear life against Campbell. That was like 7 nothing, and then they ended up winning 10-9. to Wow. But Miami, yeah, Ohio, not a bad team. Miami, Ohio, not a bad team. It was a really good bounce back because that was a pretty terrible first game of the year mm-hmm. to get run-ruled by a good Charlotte team, but not one I had in consideration to be ranked. The team ERA is a concern. It's a Eight five six right now. Well, what did we say when we were previewing South Carolina? We just find somebody who can pitch at any point, and the search continues. Yes, we'll see how things look going forward. Florida played three games, pretty much crushed everybody. Beat rival Illinois State twenty one nothing. Their heated rival. Every single season, they the, will play seven times. They find some way to play Illinois State multiple times. Yeah, outscored opponents 41-2, team batting average over 400. And, you know, Florida did what they were supposed to do. Would have liked to have seen them play South Florida, but that was canceled because of weather. Mm-hmm. Weather was a huge uh, star of the weekend, unfortunately. Oh, gosh. Hopefully that, knock on wood, won't be the case this weekend. <laughs> this desk is not made of wood, mm. but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, one more team to cover. The Texas A&M Aggies, they did not play anybody of consequence this weekend. Texas A&M Commerce in their first year of softball, Michigan State with Ashley Miller and then just a bunch of people, and they... They played teams and certainly had uniforms on. Yeah, and A&M played accordingly. 68 runs in five games. Julia Cottrell hit 526. Trinity Cannon, your co-player of the week with Taylor Pleasance at 667 with an 810 OBP. Ooh. Haley Lee-esque. Mm. I mean, we'll see how they do in Clearwater. It was a nice statement. 
Yeah. If they can keep it up this weekend with Oklahoma State and Arizona and UCF and Nebraska and South Florida, then I'll be impressed. But, you know, it was just a nice opening weekend for Trish for- Trisha Ford. If they're if they go for three and two in Clearwater, then I think you start looking at them. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Because that means they'll have either beaten Oklahoma State, Arizona, or UCF. Sure. Good point. We'll see. That's the SEC, Tom. Are you ready to dive in to the FGCL pool? Ooh. It's time for the FGCL corner and Gray's FGCL player of the week. Now, this is a new year. There is no Merrill. There is no Glenn Close. There is no Tom Hanks. There is no person that we have ever seen win really back. You know, Haley Lee, Mac Leonard, Paige Rao, all gone. Got a bunch of new people that are going to be up for nominations this year. Okay. Are you ready for the list? A new crop, if you will. Yes. Tom will pick two from the list of nominees, and then I'll pick a winner. Now, the nominees are Chloe Evans from UCF. 6-4-11, five RBIs, a home run, three doubles, a walk, a strikeout, and five runs scored. Had the walk-off home run to beat Boise State 9-8. Mackenzie Clark, Clemson. 6-for-10, four RBIs, two home runs, a double, three walks, a strikeout, and six runs scored. Kaylee Roper, FGCU. Four for nine, seven RBI, two home runs, a double, two walks, four strikeouts, three runs scored against Long Island, drove in three of the four runs in that victory and had the walk-off sacrifice fly. Tiffany Dominique, USC Upstate, five for nine, seven RBIs, two home runs, a double, two walks, two strikeouts, and five runs scored. Jessica LeBeau, Michigan, 15 and two-thirds innings pitched, four hits, two runs, zero earned, seven walks, 19 strikeouts, and had a no-hitter against Portland State. Kylie Sand, selected today as the Big Ten Player of the Week from Rutgers, 11 for 18, three RBIs, a double, a walk, and eight runs scored. I wonder when the last time the Big Ten Player of the Week was from Rutgers. I don't know, but a 5-0 weekend for the Scarlet Knights. that? Way to go, Kylie Sand. Finally, Emily Price, Western Illinois, 14 innings, 9 hits, 2 runs, both earned, 6 walks, and 15 Ks. A couple special shout-outs who are not up for the win. Emma Grace Walker of Troy was on the Sports Center Top 10 today for a diving catch. So congratulations to the former Peach Emma Grace Walker. And Taylor Gilmore, she was done. She was coaching somewhere. And she had an extra year of eligibility, and Fresno State called her, and now she is back playing college softball. Oh, how about that? And she threw this weekend. So congrats to Taylor Gilmore. You're on the list now. We're keeping track. Sitting on the couch. Yes. Saying, no, let's go, let's go up to Fresno. She was literally a coach in the league this past <laughs> summer, and now she is playing with some people from the league. Very cool. Very cool. All right, pick your two finalists, Tom. Uh, okay, I am going to go with, if you throw a no-hitter, you're going to get a finalist. So sure. We'll go Jessica LeBeau from Michigan and uh, Kylie Sand from Rutgers. That's pretty impressive numbers. Ah, two Big Ten choices. Yes. Well, you know, I'm a sucker for no-hitters, but 11 for 18 is pretty, pretty good. You know what? Kylie Sand got Big Ten Player of the Week. Jessica LeBeau, nothing from the Big Ten Conference. Jeez. Crazy. Courtney Wallace from Nebraska got Pitcher of the Week. How many no-hitters did she throw? You know what? I don't know the answer to that, <laughs> but I'm giving the award for FTCL Player of the Week to Jessica LeBeau. All right. Congratulations, our first winner of the year. Which uh, which team is Jessica LeBeau affiliated with in the FTCL? A rodeo. She was a rodeo. That is correct. She knows how to win. She does. <laughs> Champs. 
Lasso to championship. Indeed. Rings galore. <laughs> All right, your FGCL player of the week is Jessica LeBeau. Before we get ready to steal second, some big games to watch this week. Before we dive into the weekend, Wednesday, Missouri at UCF. Should be a fun one. Mm-hmm. Always great. UCF seemingly finds a pretty good game right before Clearwater every season. That'll be something we'll be tuning into, I'm sure, as we drive. Not hard to get people to travel to Orlando. Yes, we love Disney. Let's pick one from each day as we typically do. Thursday, not a super heavy slate, and this doesn't include Alabama games, but but Tom, what sticks out on Thursday? Uh, I think Ole Miss Liberty. Liberty taking uh, Oklahoma to the limit and then uh, taking on Ole Miss as a continue their month-long trek into mexico it should be an interesting matchup when will finley ever have her mother back home (laughs) we don't know right oklahoma state texas a&m we're gonna find out real quick yeah if this aggie thing is for real Mm -hmm. friday i'm going to pinpoint stanford at georgia because i think that's fascinating stanford did not really impress in irvine how do they look in Athens against the Georgia offense that is feeling themselves right now? That's the one that I'm circling. Take a look at Arkansas and Duke in Clearwater. Alabama will have just played Duke on Thursday, so the matchup on Friday. Uh, how will Blue Devils go against Arkansas? Uh, they're in Arkansas coming off of a weekend where they played in Las Vegas and weren't really challenged. Yeah. Saturday? Uh, Saturday. A lot of stuff happening on Saturday. I am going to look at well, UCLA Forest State. It's fair. Seems to be a pretty good matchup. Well done. <laughs> good choice. Uh, Northwestern Clemson. Clemson, a top five team on my ballot this week. Northwestern. Wow. How much of that is their uh, preseason hype video? In, an incredible amount. <laughs> Love that video. Yes, it's a great video. So good. Northwestern, kind of a eh, opening weekend. You know, mm-hmm. they beat Texas. They lost to Missouri. They were losing to St. John's in a game that got canceled. And then oh, yeah, yeah. they lost to Tennessee. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we'll see. You know, I'm sure they're still good, but this is a, a really good test. This is the ACC Big Ten Challenge at Clemson. So Clemson is hosting this whole thing with Ohio State and Northwestern and Notre Dame there. Should yeah. be fun. Okay. All right, Sunday, Tom. I'll, I'll give you another crack at it. Go ahead. I was going to say, quite the doubleheader for the Ragin' Cajuns. Oh, boy. As, uh, they get to take on UCLA and Florida State in Clearwater. Ooh, in one day? One day. Who would do that? Right. And same day Florida State has to play Alabama. Oh, boy. Hmm. Maybe we'll ask JDH about the Cajuns. Yeah, Who I knows? think we should. You know what I'm pinpointing? Just for funsies. Oklahoma Baylor. Remember last year when we were in Columbia, oh, yes. South Carolina, and Oklahoma oh. was about to fall to the Bears? And if not for a dropped foul ball that inevitably led to Oklahoma finding a way to walk it off, the Sooners would have taken their first loss. Mm. That type of stuff just happens to Oklahoma. It does. Will it happen this year? I don't know. I had Baylor played okay against Arkansas, took advantage of some errors. So this is in Waco. It's a non conference -conference tournament in Waco. Okay. Sure. Okay. I think it'll be a fun weekend of softball. We're going to be watching a ton, not just in Clearwater, but oh, yeah. around the country. Oh, it's we're getting into the meat now of that pre-conference slate, where you know right after you know Super Bowl football's kind of done for a little while until the, the spring leagues get going. Um, this is where uh, you know softball can kind of get some get some good national recognition. So I think this is a good week to jump on board if you were if you weren't really into softball yet 
last week if you're like oh my gosh still so cold super bowl's happening this is the week to get on board yeah just hop on in yeah might as well <laughs> do you want to talk more about oklahoma no <laughs> sure a loaded question <laughs> yes my friend <laughs> oklahoma people are going to be so confused why we keep appearing <laughs> in their timelines we are just all over their mentions we really are but we've got the sign it's time to steal a second and talk about the Sooners. Our friend, our radio colleague, Chris Plank, the voice of Oklahoma softball, will be joining us next here on the Out of the Box podcast. We're about to steal a second. See you in a minute. podcast gray robertson and tom canterbury hanging out in the studio and it is time to steal second here on the show with one of our radio colleagues our radio compatriots our friend chris plank the voice of the oklahoma sooners have you heard of them they're quite good at softball chris welcome to the show glad we can finally do this yeah me too man i I listen all the time and i appreciate all the coverage you guys give to this incredible sport and we're off and running man what a what a wild opening weekend already, right? <laughs> oh, oh, no. If he's listened to the pod, he's heard us talk about Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, come on, man. It's all for good stuff, right? It's all for <laughs> right. competition in the end. It's all fun and games. And and you saw some really good games in Irvine this weekend uh, with the Sooners. What are your main takeaways from from that opening weekend and what you saw from this team this year? Yeah, it's um, it was a wild five games. I won't lie. Um, and, and outside of the run rule against San Jose State, you know, just just a real quick recap. You open up with a with a win over a, a Duke team that played well this week, and they looked really good. And it's kind of weird. And and you guys have done this for a little bit, so you see a former player in the opposing team's dugout. And you're like, oh man, that's she's with us. What's going on? Why is Sid Romero over there with Duke? But she did a great job with him this weekend. Um, they, I think they ended up beating Stanford, which was a great game out there, but uh, Oklahoma kind of struggled, you know, four zip to, to Duke, one zip to Liberty. Uh, they put, put one on Stanford. The Washington game was weird because I think Jordy ball finished with like, I, I think seven, eight walks. They had nine walks to 11 walks as pitching staff. Uh, and and committed a couple of errors and still won the game. And then they just rolled against San Jose State. But, you know, it was it was a weekend that I'm sure Patty Gasso liked because they went 5-0, and and there was enough things that they were able to take away that they can work on. But the, probably the best thing, the most reassuring thing, was how good uh, Nicole May looked, how solid Alex Straco looked after a bit of a tough fall, and then, you know, the freshman Kirsten Deal getting a chance on Sunday. The pitching was really, to me, the story of this weekend for OU. Uh, no Kenzie Hansen this past weekend. Did, uh, do you know anything about her timetable? And how do you think her teammates stepped up in her absence? Yeah, um, appendicitis. So she had her appendix removed as uh, she put it out on social media. I don't know if we'll see her this weekend. Um, I, I'm not going whatever's right. I've never had appendicitis. I've never had my appendix taken out. So I don't know what the recovery process is like, especially for a premier athlete. But um, I, I think her hope is to be back this week um, and then maybe to see her a hundred percent by, by the the Mary Nutter. But it's a good point in, in asking about who stepped up because this is as deep of a team at catcher as I can remember. So they started Sophia Nugent, but they didn't hit her. They flexed out and they hit Haley Lee. Um, and then Haley Lee caught a little bit. And then they have Jocelyn Erickson, the freshman. So you missed Kinsey Hansen's bat, no doubt. But they um, they really did a nice job defensively behind the plate this weekend. 
Loyal listeners may recognize the name Jocelyn Erickson, younger sister of Emily Erickson, FGCL, and mm. Kaylee Erickson, FGCL. Wow. So deep oh, cut. wow. Look at that. Yes. Deep, cut, deep cuts. <laughs> rocking it, Emily. I believe she's at Weber State this year, rocking and rolling here this season. Uh, Chris, one of my favorite parts about our jobs, and I'm sure you feel the same about yours, is when you get to be around the team, when you get to travel with them, you get to see how the team acts off the field and away from practice and just as people hanging out around a hotel or at some of the meals. And I I think some of the questions the outside world has about programs that bring in a bunch of transfers is how those squads uh, with with new people and with old people congeal and and how that chemistry builds. What have you seen from that road trip to Irvine that tells you something about this team's chemistry this season with OU? surprisingly tight already. It's a great point. You know, I'm, I'm in coach Gasso always says the joy is in the journey. And I think you guys can attest to it as, as much as anyone. It is those moments when it's a team dinner or a team breakfast and you're there, or, you know, you're riding on the bus over to the game. You kind of sense that personality, but you know, it's a 20 person roster. They travel 19 of them this weekend. Uh, 12 of those players are back, right? They're, they're returning players. And I would say of those 12, you know, at least 10 had contributed one red shirted and what, you know, ba- barely played last year. So it was 12 coming back that all had a role. And you had a recruiting class that, you know, had the top player in the country and deal. And then you bring in four stud transfers, right. Who could have gone anywhere they wanted likely, you know, it's being a little bit general, but it just, it really seems to match. And I think part of it, is the personality of who they brought in, right? You know, Haley Lee is uh, just, she is personality personified, man. She brings it. Sid Sanders, a little bit more quiet, a little bit more low key. Uh, Lena Torres personality, Alex Duraco, you know, kind of feeling her way. And it's just, it's all meshed real well. I, and I don't know if it's a Patty Gasso thing. I don't know if it's just the personality that was already in that locker room, but you know, it, it didn't seem as if it was a team of strangers this week. And it seemed like, that they really meshed. So, because I know maybe one of the popular things would be, oh my gosh, it was only one zip against Liberty. Obviously, they're having problems meshing the transfers in there. And, you know, maybe behind the scenes, there's there's something there, but I sure as hell haven't seen it. And they're, uh, it really seems as if they're they're a pretty, pretty solid group. You mentioned her earlier, Nicole May had a great performance against Washington. Uh, what do you think that that kind of says about what she can bring uh, to this team, which is already so deep? Yeah, she was awesome. Um, I was really happy for her. She's got a great family. And, you know, Nicole Nicole was never really 100% last year, right? And, you know, some fans got mad because I was like, hey, listen, the the issue was control, right? You got to throw strikes. And if you look at the numbers, you're like, well, it's not that bad. But, you know, when you're you're putting a couple of runners on base, you know, that margin for error becomes much, much smaller. And she struggled a little bit with control. And both her and Jordy, it's kind of wild. You go back to their solid Thursday performances. They both walk two or three hitters in the first two innings. You're like, oh, no, you know, what's going on here? Uh, but both rebounded. I think the final number for Nicole was, what, 10 strikeouts? She looks healthy. She seems happy. Um, and, you know, you always have that friend that's kind of laid back, that's maybe a little bit low-key. Maybe he or she doesn't cause, so they don't get too fired up. But when they get fired up or they drop a bomb, you're like, okay. It's on. That's Nicole May. When you see her get a little bit more fired up because she's so low key, it brings a lot of people with her. And it was it was really fun to see her pitch confidently this week. And she uh, she seemed to be really in control of who she is and what she wanted to do in the circle. How would you order? I know this is probably a loaded question that 
that maybe doesn't have a right answer, but how would you order the staff right now? Because you could argue that Nicole May looked the best of all the arms this past yeah. weekend. Yeah, and then, you know, Jordy, it's Jordy was so good on Thursday and then just really could not find the zone for whatever reason on Saturday night against Washington. So based on performances this weekend, yeah, probably May one. Um, the only reason deal wouldn't be higher is because it was San Jose state and not San Jose state played five games and got run ruled in all of them. You know, it's going to be a rough year for the Spartans, but yeah, I, uh, yeah, I think may was the best coming out of this weekend. She was, she was really, really good. And you know, Nicole may gets forgotten. It's you know you had G Juarez that ran him to the World Series in in twenty one, Jordy Ball last year, and then Hope Troutwine really stepped up. But they probably don't have back to back titles if Nicole May didn't do what she did in the Super Regionals against Washington or uh, the game she pitched in the World Series, the two games she pitched in the World Series last year. So um, I think she's got a chance to to really really be good this year. But I got to tell you guys, um, Alex Straka was the nice surprise to me. Because we saw Alex Straco against Oklahoma in the battle series, and she had struggled a little bit. But, you know, Coach Gasso told us that she had a light that seemed to kind of flip, uh, a switch that flipped over the last few weeks. And uh, she was really good. I was really, really encouraged and fired up to see how good Alex Straco was against Stanford. There's I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to struggle if they're going against the Oklahoma offense. <laughs> it's it's kind of like, you know, people talk about yeah. uh, Alabama's offense struggling in a scrimmage. And it's like, well, they're facing Montana Fouts. Right, exactly. Gonna, a lot of people <laughs> are going to struggle there. So, yeah, it's yeah, kind of hard point. to take that from there. But, um, you know, you look at it was a really good start, you know, schedule-wise, you know, played a lot of really good teams out in Irvine. And when it if you had – if there was a negative about Oklahoma, perception-wise from the outside would be – the schedule that Oklahoma plays yearly uh, because the big 12 is, you know, top heavy outside of Oklahoma and Oklahoma state. Sure. Uh, but that's certainly not going to be an issue this year. Cause my <laughs> goodness, when we saw the the schedule come out um, it, it looks like maybe the toughest schedule non-conference wise I've ever seen. What excites yep. you about what this schedule is going to bring for Oklahoma? Yeah. I, and, and, you know, there, there's a lot of kind of little integral things in there. Like you said, you know, making a trip to, to LSU uh, and Baton Rouge to play the Tigers in a midweek hosting Florida state in a midweek. I mean, I love these kind of games and I hope that we see more and more of them. Maybe, you know, TV has a renewed interest and these games end up on ESPN uh, during the regular season and not just only in May. Um, but that excites me. I, you know, they're, they're trying Oklahoma, and and I think they're going to because the pre-sales already pretty much got them there. Uh, Fresno holds the record for the largest regular season crowd in the history of college softball. And I, I want to say it was like 2,000. They had like 9,000 people at a game. And Oklahoma has moved the opening game of its series against Texas to Hall of Fame Stadium. And the goal is to to have the largest crowd for a regular season game ever. Now they won't have the outfield bleachers yet. So it won't be a true world series crowd, but they've already had to open up the upper deck and it looks like they're going to get there. So something like that is exciting. You know, I'll tell you what, you know, it, it, it sounds maybe weird, but this is going to be our last trip to Stillwater. 
And that's a really fun place to watch a game. I mean, it's definitely enemy territory, but, you know, Kenny's built a deck out in left center field. They got these these crazy fans that are pounding their paddles on the wall all game long. I mean, it is a true hostile environment. They deserve a new stadium. They need a new stadium. But what they've done there is awesome. I love going there. And that's going to be tough, right? I mean, I know Oklahoma State lost to Maryland this weekend, but, you know, they're going to be fine as long as Kelly Maxwell is healthy. So, you know, these tournaments have sneaky good games in them, right? Two games against Kentucky, I think Auburn coming up. So, you know, even where you might have a less than spectacular matchup with San Jose State or Illinois Chicago, um, suddenly, you know, it's it's thrust up to the top because, hey, Kentucky's up next or Auburn. You know, we play Longwood on Friday. They're coming off just beating Florida State this weekend. So there's a, it is – I agree with you. Um, it's It's the best schedule I've seen that they've had from top to bottom. And it really rewards the home team too. I mean, the, the home fans, I should say, cause there's some good teams coming into Norman this year. Let us know if you need restaurant recommendations for Baton Rouge. We have, you know, a little <laughs> experience a in that category. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, I'll Chris, definitely need them. <laughs> Chris Blank joining us here as we still second on the out of the box podcast. All right, Chris, I want to talk about your relationship with Patty Gasso because Tom and I have, have had, many a meal with Patrick Murphy after games, or, or we've gone down to a hotel lobby and chatted about softball or about anything pretty much. And uh, that's something that I know we both really value. Do you get to spend any time kind of away from softball with Coach Gasso? Do you ever get to hang out with her in the hotel lobby? What's that relationship like? Yeah, she avoids me. She can't stand me. Uh, she <laughs> and, uh, no, um, Coach is the best. I mean, she, she is really awesome. And, you know, I've, I've developed a great, I feel like I've developed a great relationship with her and, you know, her, her, her sons, you know, DJ has become one of my, my better friends, JT as well, you know, and, and their families and what Andrea and, and, and Grace Gasso are doing. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's an awesome family. And then, you know, her, her husband, Jim, who's now the GM of the, of the Oklahoma city professional team is as fun of a guy to talk to. I mean, Great. I, I spend more time talking about, you know, family things than I do softball with him. So I'm probably the one that's messing up because I could be learning all this stuff about this sport, but I'm, I'm more interested in how should I handle my son being gone to college right now when he never called me before? Am I ever going to hear from him again? And, you know, we're always talking about life things, you know, the, the thing. And, and, and again, I, I, I don't think it's any secret. It's a very, it's a very faith-based program. You know, it's on the foundation of, of, of the Bible and it's on the foundation of what they view as right or wrong. And I've learned a lot about myself and my faith and it's been challenged and it's really fun um, to, to, to do life in a roundabout way with these people. So, you know, I, it's wild because we probably with, with softball and, and baseball, you get more time with a coach than any other sport, right? Football, you fly in the night before you're out. Basketball might be day of, and unless you're on the staff or you're in their offices. It's, it's kind of nonstop softball. You go on the road. I mean, I was in Los Angeles for five days, right. And you're having meals together and they're going and doing things around games. So um, Patty's Patty's incredibly special to me. And I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be doing this. I don't think anyone else would tolerate my craziness uh, like she does. Cause I'm truly an insane person, but you know, it's, 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 it's not just the coach, right? It's the staff. You become friends with, the, their direct Jackie Livingston's the best director of ops, in my opinion. Right, I'm sure everyone has their own favorite, but you know, you, and they've got a whole new crew. They got new strength. They got a new 
um, support staff. They've got a new volunteer assistant. So it's, you know, learning new people this year, but at the core of it is the championship mindset and Patty gas. So, and uh, it's, it's pretty awesome, man. I treasure those moments. I absolutely do. And I know you guys do too. But speaking of insane people, we, uh, we, we do, uh, we do a segment on the podcast where we go off the wall and we talk about the things that are said online that are just crazy and it kind of com- <laughs> like comes this. yes and it comes from you know when you're when you follow a program that has so much success it, it breeds i don't even know what the right word is uh just crazy expectations about right. every single game you should run roll every 12 nothing should be the final of every game oh, of yeah. inning. oh yeah it, it, is that i know it's not just an alabama thing is that a thing in oklahoma when there's been oh. so much when there's been so much success and now all of a sudden, you know, you only beat Liberty one nothing, and people think that the the program is oh. falling apart. Yeah, um, someone was mad because I do a local show Monday through Friday on our um, on the ref, and it's local sports talk. And someone on Friday had said an over under four four and a half home runs for game one. I'm like, guys, let's just because it's a little bit deeper in Irvine. I'm like, let's just get four home runs over the weekend. Let's just win games, but. You know, you you guys are right. That expectation is set. You know, you, I want to win a championship every single year. I want to win every single game. You know, people that latch onto the sport, um, which is fine, it, which is great that 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 because of the energy and because of the the, the winning, they've latched onto it. It's like they could go undefeated. I'm like, do you realize how crazy hard it is to even win, just lose just three games like Oklahoma did last year? You want to talk about undefeated? So yeah, it it is. It was there was a little bit of everybody calm down, but I'll say this. I'll say this, guys. Oklahoma, they've got some gatekeepers on social media now. Okay. I mean, I'll tell you what, I I'm even afraid to get sideways every now and then. So there might be the crazies out there, but if that happens, then you've got like I know, like Jackie's coming to get you or Sooner Soup guy. So they've got an absolute gatekeeper whenever it comes to how they decide to kind of handle that. <laughs> we know. Yeah, that's that's good. Yes. Uh Another segment we do on the podcast is Tom's Hungry, where we, you know, where we, when we go on the road, we talk about where we went to eat. And that's, I mean, that's, that's really, that's really the most important thing about going on the road. Of course. Uh, right. Right. And with Oklahoma coming to the SEC, I would assume Alabama will probably be going to Norman in the next couple of years. I think that's going to be probably okay. on the schedule. Um, if you had to give us some recommendations, we'll go ahead and mark them down now. Where do we Good. need to go when we're in Norman? Okay. Um, now, now, again, I, I, I want to make this very clear. I'm not a foodie, okay? I just like to eat, and that's kind of how I look at it. I'm not – I'm right I'm there with happy, you, yes. I, I'm as happy with a hamburger as I am with a steak. But, um, listen, it depends. If, if you want to get yourself a good Norman meal, right, you want to get something that – there's uh, Tar Humara, which is a great uh, Mexican place, and uh, it, from top to bottom, they're great. You've got to have a hideaway pizza. And I don't know if you guys have hideaways in Bama or not, but go to Hideaway Pizza, get you the big country and the and the fried mushrooms. It'll change your life. Oh gosh, there's we got so many really good Mexican places, you know, that you can eat at. And it, uh, it, the Tex-Mex is really good. The barbecue here is pretty good. Um, I am a big Vance Pig Stand fan. That's not a probably popular take amongst some Oklahomans. Uh, there's, there's quite the fight amongst who's the best, uh, pizza place, but yeah. And, uh, when you come to town, it's a tradition. You got to try the Mont. 
Lamont is a tradition now that can be debated about the, the the quality of the food. I love it, and they've got a drink that's famous called the Swirl that you only need one of, and you'll be good and ready to call a game. No, I'm kidding. I would never <laughs> this, do that. Bad. This sounds um, wonderful. Yes, but, but in. I, listen, yes. like I like I said, like I said, not a foodie. Love food, but there's a handful of places along with O'Connell's that you got to try out when you come to town. It, but I've given you like eight meals. How many times are you guys going to eat when you come to town? Because I, I can as make many, sure you're good yeah, to go. Take me over. You're right, yes. <laughs> take me over. <laughs> Love it. Uh, now, everyone talks about it for football-wise, but Oklahoma mm-hmm. joining the SEC. How excited are people softball-wise for Oklahoma oh, to come to the come to the? They conference? better be over the moon pumped. And and the, the the Big Twelve, Big Twelve. I I love the Big Twelve. I want to make that very clear. I love the Big Twelve. Um, you, I can drive everywhere, you know. Um, and it's only a seven team league, so you've got to go out and find non conference games in there. So I I love the Big Twelve. But when you're going to the SEC, you're going into to it. You're going into the top, and you know for for to bring you guys by the time you come here to have Love's Field built, right? To have Auburn and, and, and Tennessee and all these incredible history laced programs. You know, we went to Georgia a couple of years ago and it was amazing. So um, I, 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 for this fan base, they're over the moon excited. And I am too. I just think it's going to be fun to see them challenged game in and game out. It just means more, Chris. It does. It It just means more. Here, we'll get you this pillow. Once it comes (laughs) in. Yeah, we'll Oklahoma right there. I know this <laughs> is an audio visual. Yeah. Meeting, but... I love it. Yes. I love it. But, but yeah. and, and I think the fan base, the fan base on, on softball might be as excited as any sport just because they know what it means and how great these matchups are going to be. Awesome. Well, Chris Plank, we are so happy that you were finally able to join us on this show. Me too, man. Uh, I, I'm glad that we could do this. Thanks for stealing second with us. Anytime, guys. You call me. I'm slow as all get out, but I can uh, eat a few innings for you. (laughs) No problem. Thanks, Chris. So that was Chris Plank, our second radio colleague that we've ever had. Brian Rice has been on multiple times, and now we've added Plank from Oklahoma. And I thought that was some really good insight into what's going on in that Oklahoma program. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because I feel like we are so in with Alabama, like as in as you can be without – having a number or being on the roster page. <laughs> right. And it's it's fun for me to be able to hear uh, essentially the us of other teams, of other teams that we just watch from a distance. And mm-hmm. I feel like we we learned a lot about the Sooners. I did too. I, I still still will be probably rooting against them more times than not. But not, nothing against <laughs> you? Chris. You? I know. Nothing against Chris Blake. I really like it. We support all of our colleagues. <laughs> right. Yes. And their endeavors, personally. <laughs> Speaking of friends and colleagues, are you ready to round third, Tom? I, I, is is she my is she my friend? Is she going to be mad at me for something? What find brawl out. will we start this year? <laughs> when we come back, we'll round third with our dear friend Jenny Dalton Hill. Clearwater is coming up. She will be broadcasting a good bit this weekend. We'll talk about the whole event when we come back here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday.
back to the Out of the Box podcast. It is time to round third with somebody who made people do that often in her collegiate career. You know her as the Arizona legend who breathed a sigh of relief last season when Jocelyn Allo did not beat her RBI record. She is, of course, our friend from the Seven Innings podcast, our friend from ESPN, Jenny Dalton Hill, JDH. What a pleasure. How are you? Hey guys. Well, it's so good to be back with you. I mean, this means softball season has started. It means we're ready to go. And with Clearwater around the corner, everybody's going to get a chance to see it because we'll be right there on ESPN. Yeah, that's right. 40 games, Mm -hmm. all available to be seen, whether on linear or digital TV, Tom. What a concept. I know. Yes. You can can do it all on using the internet or cable. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. Just press the button, people. That's all you got to do. We're diving in too early to off the wall. JDH, (laughs) before we talk about Clearwater, uh, let's talk about opening weekend. What stuck out to you from around the country? I'm sure you were just glued to the television all weekend long. Well, I wish I could say I was glued, but I actually was on a trip in Texas. And so I was watching virtually on my phone, on airplanes and airports and all that kind of stuff. But it was it was a parody party. I mean, so many things going on, so many moving parts. And it makes my head spin to think about how many of the pieces that we expect to win didn't win. And then how many teams that weren't on the radar all of a sudden got a little blip that now take my attention to be able to watch as this season goes on to see if was this a one-off win or or do you really mean business as we head into the heart of the season? Um, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Oklahoma's still good, but when it comes to um, will they win a national championship, I think they gave some teams a moment of pause this weekend with that game against Liberty with a walk-off bunt. I mean, are you kidding me? That's the craziest win, I think, that got my attention over the weekend. Um, Because when you look back to 2021, when Oklahoma had 13 home runs in their game, in their opener of the season, they only had four home runs in the five games they played this weekend. And so for me, the long ball, maybe not as much of a factor now with the queen of the home run, Jocelyn Allo, taking her departure this year. So Nicole May is still strong and she gets some support from Alex Straco in the circle, but Oklahoma had a very different look than I think a lot of us were looking for. We saw three top 10 teams drop a game. Surprisingly, we saw Florida state lose to Longwood, Oklahoma state loses. And of course, Alabama loses to Lehigh. Uh, what is a level for concern for those three teams after, uh, after a surprising loss in week one? Yeah, you mentioned it. Oklahoma state drops that game to Maryland. Um, Florida state drops the game to Longwood, Bama drops the game to Lehigh. I know that one. I probably shouldn't say more than once. Cause you guys will cry. But <laughs> when it comes to do these teams need to pause or have concern? No, definitely not. These are seasoned teams that are going to have hiccups and nobody is going to be perfect through a year. I know some teams actually appreciate a loss early in a season so that it gets off their back. I mean, Alabama was a team that had a win winning streak at at one point that was leading the country. And it was kind of like, oh, finally they lost. They don't have to wear that monkey on their back anymore. Well, they got that monkey off in game one, but it comes down to, you know, what what takes, what kind of loss gives a moment of concern? Well, if you guys look back to last year, Texas at the Clearwater tournament went 0-5. They lost to Florida State, Auburn, UCLA, UCF, 
and Notre Dame. And everybody was like, oh, their season's over. Forget it. You might as well write them off. Oh, by the way, they made it to the championship series against Oklahoma. So one game in your opening weekend that you drop maybe to a team that you don't expect to, you don't really need to lose a lot of sleep over it. Yes, it points out some areas of weakness, but let's be real. They're human. It's early in the year and there's going to be hiccups. Wow. Perspective, Tom. Like Again, yes. I didn't know that existed, mm. but here we are. Facebook can take a lesson, JD. So don't <laughs> shut down the program. Amazing. Okay, got it. Let's yeah. talk about your uh, about your Wildcats and dive into Clearwater because Caitlin Lowe's squad is going to be there. It's a pretty different Arizona team from what we saw at the World Series last season. I got to say, though, I mean, they look good in opening weekend. Now, to be fair, the competition's not that, you know, not the strongest. NC State might be the worst Power 5 team this year, but Arizona was able to put it on everybody. What do you see from this team going into Clearwater where the schedule's about to get way tougher? Well, you know, I love Arizona. Tucson is my favorite place. But when it comes to opening rounds of play for Arizona, they're not known for playing really tough competition out of the gate. Coach Candrea, I don't know if he did it on purpose or not, but there were not a lot of strong teams at the beginning of a season. We would light people up. We would get the confidence going. Home runs leaving the yard left and right. And then we'd enter Pac-12 play. Okay, it was Pac-10 play, but I had to, you know, keep it current. But when it comes to the Caitlin Lowe era, you're seeing a different look. This year, Caitlin Lowe is bringing a little bit of change. She played Alabama in the first weekend in 2022. That's a difficult opponent. She got run ruled. <laughs> when it comes to um, the Pac-12 schedule last season, they had the toughest Pac-12 schedule out of the gate. UCLA, ASU, Washington. They were 1-10 in their start and were last in the Pac-12. I don't know that that's ever happened in Pac-12 history, that Arizona was last in the conference. But then again, they turn it around by the end of the season and they make it to the Women's College World Series. Amazing turnaround. But... Right now, you're looking at Caitlin Lowe, who is taking this team to Clearwater. They are going to play a gauntlet in that tournament. Then right after that, they are not going to Palm Springs. They are not going to Fullerton. And after Clearwater, they go to Arkansas, at Arkansas, and play mm. them for a three-game set in a tournament format. But Caitlin Lowe is mixing things up. I can't remember the last time Arizona has not played in the Judy Garman classic in Fullerton. Can't remember it. It goes back to the nineties every single year they play there, but Caitlin Lowe is going to try to do things a little bit differently, but you're right in opening weekend. They did not play very hard teams, five wins, five run rules and 10 hitters right now are hitting over 400. Carly Scoopin is the lowest of those hitting 423. Oh, but she had two home runs. I mean, it just, is a little obscene, the numbers that Arizona was able to put up. But with that, hopefully they take some confidence into Clearwater. One of the teams they're going to be facing in Clearwater had an offensive explosion of their own here this past weekend with Texas A&M. Uh, they're actually going to, they're going to be ranked in a few polls here this week. Um, what, what have you seen from Texas A&M that they're doing differently right now than they have in the last couple of years? Well, probably the newest thing they're doing is they have a new head coach. So the departure of Joe Evans was a big one. I She would became a staple at Texas A&M. Great human being. Absolutely love her as a person. 
but the administration made a change. And so Trisha Ford comes over from ASU to take over the reins. And she's built programs that back to kind of national contention. She tutored under John Rittman at Stanford, who was on the Olympic um, coaching staff back in his days, led Fresno State to back-to-back -back Mountain West championships. She got ASU back to the Women's College World Series. She got win number 400 over the weekend at Texas A&M. Um, but I'm going to say they had a pretty easy opening weekend. They handled the schedule. It was given to her by Joe Evans. She did not create this schedule. But heading into Clearwater, she's got a tough job ahead of her with um, Oklahoma State, Arizona, UCF, and Nebraska. After that tournament, they go right to Palm Springs to play Oklahoma and UCLA. And uh, oh yeah, opening weekend of SEC play, they've got Arkansas. So don't think that Texas A&M is just kind of riding high. They've got a lot coming at them, but I am glad that they were able to kind of get their feet underneath them and get their feet wet with a brand new coach on a positive note before they head into some really difficult softball. Yeah, when, when we talked to Coach Ford uh, during uh, softball media days, uh, she was she made a point to mention that she did not make this schedule. <laughs> this was not, yeah. not what she would probably have done had she been in charge at that time. Well, let's just say I, I hope the bats are for real, because if not, that ranking might not last no. very long with, with what's going up for Texas A&M. Congratulations on your one week of <laughs> do have seven hitters hitting above 500 right now and yeah. outscored their opponents 68 to three while hitting 10 home runs so yeah it's probably not going to last but a cool first weekend right yes. it's great yeah records love we love records at davis <laughs> jenny Dalton hill joining us here on the show one of the biggest games of the event is ucla florida state it's at i believe 10 a.m eastern time uh, maybe Central Time, I'm not sure it didn't say on the website, but that's crazy early. And this has normally been one of the primetime matchups of the Clearwater Invitational. What do you expect to see when those two meet up, especially considering, you know, Florida State coming off of that disappointing loss to Longwood and UCLA looking pretty invincible in week one, save for a slight scare against San Diego? UCLA, I mean, they're just a bunch of stallions. There's always been bad blood between Arizona and UCLA. There's That's... That's not an elephant in the room. That's very well known. And so when it comes to how do I feel about UCLA, there's always that little bit, it's kind of like, you know, that pee in your mattress if you're the princess in the pee, right? Like you, you don't like it. But what you see happening at UCLA, they got two key transfers from Arizona this year that really bolster their lineup. And the key one, if the key transfer, I think for them is Charlize Palacios coming over in the catching position, she leads so well. And I think that's the key piece for UCLA, knowing that Megan Faramo is wanting to get back to Oklahoma and make sure that they're a contender for the national championship. They bring in a healthy Brooke Yanez from Oregon. I mean, they have put in some key pieces to match up with the talent that they already have. I think what you're gonna see people saying is Tom who, because Maya Brady truly is one of those players for UCLA that is making a name for herself. She's no longer Tom Brady's niece. She is now, or Tom Brady is now Maya Brady's uncle because she did so well over the weekend. She was absolutely on fire hitting 813 with four home runs and 13 RBI. She is setting herself up for a monster year, exactly what UCLA needs her to do.
And then after UCLA and Florida State play on Sunday, it's going to be the it's going to be the Seminoles and Alabama in the marquee matchup on ESPN regular. Um, this this these two teams have a wild history, especially recently uh, with Florida State beating Alabama twice on uh, on the uh, on that day in Oklahoma City to send Florida State to the national championship. Um, how do you see this matchup? playing out between two teams that were two of those teams that had surprising losses in week one. I think both of these teams have something to prove. Both of them exited the postseason prematurely. The, the matchup of Alabama FSU, we expected to see in Oklahoma City, and both of them exited way too early. I was expecting to see both of those teams represent both the SEC and the ACC in Oklahoma City. Um, completely unexpected for Alabama to lose to Sanford and Florida State to lose to Mississippi State. So for me, this is a matchup I'm actually really looking forward to because this is one that you typically see in Oklahoma City at the Women's College World Series. My question to you guys is, knowing the schedule that Alabama has with Florida State being the last game of Clearwater for them, will they save Montana Fouts for this one, knowing they have Indiana and UCF on Saturday, will they save Montana, rest her, and throw her fresh, or will they keep her as a surprise for later in the year? Uh, we we talked about it in a, a previous segment. We think Montana will pitch against Florida State. We, I, yeah. we think I think she'll pitch against, pitch against both UCLA on Friday and Florida State on Sunday. Now, yeah. Lonnie, if you're listening, we have no idea. We have so no idea. Don't don't put that in writing. No. I, I think that those two games in particular are just too important for Alabama's tournament profile, considering the overall non-conference slate that that Patrick Murphy wants. To, I mean, you want to win every game, but you really need to win at least one of UCLA, Florida State to help that resume because you want to be in the conversation to to potentially host supers should you get there. Uh, I, I think it's it's too important a game to to not start Montana. And and besides, you know, ESPN regular prime time. Why not put your best out there? Put the face of softball on the circle. Yeah. And yeah. and Montana, like everybody else with Alabama, you know, has some has some demons with Florida State. So I think it'd be a great time to to try to exercise those. Yeah. Well, I am always a Montana Fouts fan. I love her to death. She is amazing. But then on the flip side, does Florida State save Kat Sandercock for that matchup as well? They have a little bit tougher road to Alabama in Clearwater. And I'm curious if they will save Cat for that late night Sunday game. I think that's a little bit more up for debate because I remember when we were doing this, we come back in 2020 and Brianna Enter had started. She was floor stage number four in the primetime game against UCLA and it almost worked. They almost right. won. Yeah. Lonnie to me has been in this primetime game every year that this tournament has existed pretty much. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if she threw anybody. Part of me thinks it's going to be either McKenna Reed, the freshman, or Allie Dubois, the Boston U transfer. Uh, that's that's just like what my gut is saying, but I, I don't know. We could see Sandercott come on in relief, which also has happened often. Right. It may depend on if who pitches against UCLA the day before. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to go into it. I'm glad it's not my job and I'm not paid the big bucks to write out that lineup. But yeah, that's a big call. I think you're right, though. I don't think you'll see Kat Sandercock in that game, knowing that uh, it's harder to scout some of those newer pitchers. 
And what you're finding is in year two or three or four of spacing a pitcher, hitters get ahead of them. Hitters are able to capitalize on their pitches a whole lot more because their scouting report is so much more accurate. So if you throw somebody newer at Alabama, I think that they're going to have a little bit more success. Interesting. A couple more things with Jenny Dalton Hill here on the Out of the Box podcast before we let you go, JDH. Uh, you're going to call a couple of Louisiana games this weekend, and this is a team that we saw multiple times last year. They have been known as you know one of the transfer U's across the country. Bring in eight people from anywhere and let's see how it works. This year, it's not really like that. You've only got four transfers on the roster, and they were all on the team last year. It's like a you know, normal softball team. <laughs> Do you think that this strategy is going to work this year for Coach Glasgow in Louisiana? Well, Coach Glasgow actually took notes from Coach Cindy Ball Malone at UCF last year. Coach Ball Malone made a really difficult preseason schedule with the intent to try to host the postseason. It worked in her favor. They hosted and then were able to advance to their very first ever Super Regional. Coach Glasgow said, I think this is the team that's going to be able to do that. So he put together a schedule that is not for the faint of heart. And so what they're going to have to do is really show up to be able to get the RPI needed and also the ranking needed to get a regional at home um, this year. They are sitting on a, their third consecutive year of winning the Sun Belt, but have not hosted the postseason. And so they're trying to put together a resume that would give them the opportunity to host at home like UCF did this last year. So expect some big things from Alexa Langliers. Um, she was out for three weeks last year and missed regionals due to some health issues. She had 13 home runs on the air. Coach Glasgow says expect to see her in double digit home runs again and then uh, Carly Heath, we see her in the circle a lot, but expect to see her DHing when she's not in the circle. Her bat just way too important to keep out of the lineup. But guys, there are 17 freshmen and sophomores on the roster for Louisiana. So not only is it young talent, it's untested talent that is going to have to really show up big against some amazing opponents. This team last year stole 137 bases. He said they are faster this year and will steal more. So this is a team that is not going to wait for you to come to them. They are going to bring the game to you and try to make you make mistakes as they play this hurry up offense. Another team you're going to see a lot this weekend is going to be Michigan. Um, what, uh, what have you gleaned from uh, the post-touch era in Ann Arbor? Well, it's a big change for this group. Coach Hutch is a strong personality and Bonnie Thal, the new head coach, has been an assistant under Hutch for 29 seasons. So not only did Bonnie play at, sorry, Coach Thal play at Michigan, but she has been an assistant there for a really, really long time. Jen Brundage stays on this staff. She's in her 25th season as pitching coach, but you're going to see a different look at the head, you know? Coach Hutch is just a fiery, gritty individual that leads that team with a lot of, you know, emotion over there in that third base box. Bonnie Fall, much different personality, more even, more reserved. And so she was very intentional in this offseason to bring everyone into the office and really form relationships one-on-one -on -one 
rather than trying to let the team define who she was. She wanted to be very, um, very intentional about making those relationships before anybody else kind of got a hold of creating that narrative for her. Um, she said in a, in a quote, she said today, coaches are the navigational system, but the team drives the bus. So she's looking for this team to really take the reins and run, but the coaches just kind of keeping them in the bumpers, if you will, to keep them um, moving in the right direction. Um, they got a really good transfer out of Melina Livingston, um, or no, the, their captains are Melina Livingston and Lexi Voss, and they're hoping that those two will be able to lead from within. Excited to see Michigan this weekend. Excited to see all the action in Clearwater. It's going to be a great event, as it always is. And everybody listening out there can see and hear JDH with our guy Drew Carter uh, on various games this weekend at the, uh, let me make sure I'm saying this right, Tax Act Clearwater Invitational presented by Evo Shield. You've got I wrote a sticky it on note. a post-it note so I would not forget. It's changed every year and I don't want to mess it up. So I literally wrote it on a post-it note and put it on my notes so I say it right every time. We had right. all just memorized the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational and right. then they changed it. <sighs> I know. I'm with you guys. But at the same time, this one definitely is easier. So yeah. Yes. I just call it the ESPN tournament. I don't yeah. know if that, if that, <laughs> that, that, that thing in Florida. Right, yes. <laughs> Uh, JDH, thank you so much for rounding third with us. It is always a pleasure to see you. And hopefully our paths will cross at some point this year. We hope you'll be down in SEC country soon. Yeah, well, don't forget to check out that UCF Michigan game that leads off the tournament for both of those teams at the beginning of the tournament. That is a matchup of a year ago. Michigan got knocked out of the postseason by UCF at UCF. So that's going to be a big one with both of these teams looking to go head to head again. I'll be scouting. Mm -hmm. I'll be ready. Let's go <laughs> on out the boards. Thank you so much, JDH. Always good to see you. Great to see you guys. Have a great time in Florida. So it's JDH. Always fun to round third with our friend. And Tom, way to keep it civil. Yes. Great job. <laughs> Thank you very much. Look at you two mending fences ahead of Clearwater. <laughs> My sworn enemy, JDH. <laughs> oh, just kidding. I mean, it's always, yeah. a, it's always a pleasure to have her on. Absolutely. And I'm interested to see her Wildcats this weekend. That's... A team that just rammed everything out of the park last week. Then I looked into NC State, and they really might be the worst Power 5 team in the country. That wasn't a joke. But we'll see how they do this weekend. They first opponents, Florida State. Yeah, and something I didn't think about, it's rare for Arizona to come out east, like she was talking about. Usually they host two or three tournaments. Yeah. And then, if anything, they play in Judy Garman or they play in the Mary Nutter. It's the first time I can remember them being in a tournament out, out east in Clearwater, so that I, it'll be interesting to see how they fare. Yeah, so thank you to JDH for joining us. And now, Tom, are you ready to sing Diamonds by Rihanna and head home? Sure. Let's hang from the scaffolding together. <laughs> when we come back, we'll wrap up the show. <laughs> Very well may be a preview of this weekend. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's next here on the Out of the Box Podcast. This is what you came for. Mm. Oh, I see what you It's there. the fun segments. Yes. But first, let's look back. We started at the plate and talked about Alabama. You know, we're about to play something called the overreaction game. I don't recommend overreacting 
after week one, but some people are going to do it because we're humans. Right. That's what we do. That's why we have the show. Yes. <laughs> That's why we have a certain segment that will also be coming up later. Yes. Then we advanced to first, broke down the SEC. We stole second with our buddy Chris Plank. We rounded third with Jenny Dalton Hill. And now let's head home. It's the overreaction game. A new yearly tradition after week one. <laughs> Here's how it'll go. I have three sets of three definitive statements, which we always encourage against, but I'm doing it now. As I said, there's, uh, I think you can make definitive statements about an entire season yes. based on what happens on week one. Yes. Hmm. I have three sets of three definitive statements. I'm going to read each set. Tom, you will tell me which is the biggest overreaction, which is the smallest overreaction, and which is in the middle. Now, you could think they're all big overreactions, but you'd have to pick which one is the biggest and which one is the least insane. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Set one. Gray was dead wrong about LSU. The Tigers are legit. Missouri is the biggest wild card in the SEC. Mississippi State will finish last in the conference. Out of that, I think the biggest overreaction is probably LSU. Really? Yes, because I think both of our misgivings and yours more so than even mine was not necessarily if they could do it once. Can they sustain? Can they avoid the uh, big swoons? Can they keep it consistent? So uh, I I think they're off to a great start. I'm not saying it's a massive overreaction. I don't think these three, any of these three are just way overblown reactions, but I think that's the biggest one of the three. Okay, and the smallest? The smallest, I mean, they're both pretty similar. I would say Missouri being the biggest wild card because there's still several other possible wild cards yeah. uh, in the conference. Uh, Mississippi State, bad week. I don't think they're going to be much higher than 11th maybe is their ceiling. I'm still not sure they're worse in South Carolina. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Are you ready for the second set? Okay. The ACC favorite should be Clemson, not Florida State. Northwestern's Big Ten title bid may not be as comfortable as expected. And Stanford isn't ready to contend. I think the biggest overreaction is Clemson. Okay. Um, I think they do contend. I think they are a contender in the ACC. Uh, but I think that would be overreacting a little bit too much to Florida State's loss to Longwood. Uh, we'll see how the Seminoles do this weekend. Okay. I, I tend to kind of agree with that. Smallest overreaction is probably Stanford because I don't know if, if they were really going to contend anyway. Uh, Interesting. And it depends on what your definition of contending is. Are they going to contend for the Pac-12 championship? No. UCLA is going to win that going away. Are they going to contend for a top 16 seed? I think they still can. I don't think that that eliminates them. Um, they need to perform better than they did this past weekend, though, because there was a couple of showcase games that they did not perform as well as, as we thought they would. Yeah, I got smacked by Oklahoma, really the only Power 5 or at least high mid-major opponent that Oklahoma truly Oklahoma'd. Right. And then they lost a game to Duke with Vauder in the circle. So, you know, but they also had a no-hitter from their freshman. So who knows what to make of Stanford. The Northwestern statement, neither. Uh, This is more just going along with my love of Maryland. Hashtag we rank Maryland. Maryland might be a a contender. And I don't I don't think you throw out Michigan yet. Okay. And, you know, Minnesota is always hanging around. There's going to be some 
hiccups for Northwestern, and they showed some deficiencies, I think, this week. Okay. Into it. Are you ready for the final set? Okay. Arkansas will make the Women's College World Series for the first time. Oklahoma has a better chance of being upset before Oklahoma City than UCLA. We will sadly definitely have to discuss the Texas-Kentucky result when it comes to seeding later this year. I think the biggest overreaction is Arkansas because regular season's not the issue with Arkansas. We, I don't think you're going to be able to make that statement until we know what they got in the NCAA tournament. Okay. So I, I agree. Yeah. I, I think that there were some interesting questions posed about their pitching this weekend. Dels was, as we talked about earlier, fine. The other arms were fine. Callie Turner was really kind of the most impressive one. And do I trust Callie Turner to, if need be, you know, pitch in a game yeah. that would send Arkansas to the World Series? Not yet. Yeah. yeah. She can she can earn my trust. Not that she is asking for it, <laughs> right. but yes. she can, you know, if she keeps it up, but we'll see how it goes. And I mean, and their freshman, I thought, obviously, did obviously. really well. Yeah. I mean uh, but again, competition. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. This week will be a little bit more more tough. Much more mm-hmm. difficult yes. in Clearwater, especially Indeed. that Florida State game. Uh, the uh, smallest, I would probably say the Kentucky Texas. I think those. Ugh. I think because I think the to- those two teams are going to be kind of in the same boat when they get to the seeding time. I mean, we've seen before where people in committees do kind of use the common sense. But we've seen people in committees use zero common sense, so it probably will be discussed. And that's the overreaction game. When we're trying to bring perspective into the overreactions. I mean, you know, some people just don't have that. Mm, No. Play the music. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. I'm with you all I think are wild thoughts at Facebook at the comments nothing Uh, will bring the dumbassery out like an upset oh lord have mercy this is of course as you heard off the wall we're going to keep our officials conversation to the very end okay all right but Tom I am gonna let you go first it it, it was very off the wall yes indeed poor Mm. Jalen fire away well just overall in this is not specifically one thing, but the overall uh, response on Friday uh, looked at the final score graphics of both games. And there was at when I looked at it, this is a couple days ago, last time I looked because I tried to push that out. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't have even looked at it to begin with. You're doing it for your job. Right, apparently. Uh, why were there like 400 comments on the Lehigh final graphic and only like 37 on the Georgia Southern winning graphic. The Alabama fans should be, you know, celebrating and be more, you know, supportive. We did it. Yes. Then again, you lose to Lehigh. I expect there's going to be some disappointment and some criticism. 
there was criticism to be had. It's almost hard, though, to constructively criticize the first game of the year because right. you haven't seen anything else. So, but it, just the general uh, rush to criticize and jump on negative stuff as opposed to a much more positive result in game two. And on Saturday, one, amazing we got the game in with, with, the, with the weather. Absolutely. Uh, but two... Offense really showed out. Alabama played really well on Saturday, and I think had had they been able to play that second game against Lehigh, the result would have been different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, weather happens, that's what goes on. But would have liked to have seen more positive responses to the win as opposed to the negative responses to the loss. Couldn't agree more. Hmm. And for the people that were commenting scared of Lehigh, I promise you they weren't. The game would not have seen a sixth inning against Georgia Southern. No. We, Alabama had to make it a like, all right, if we don't score X amount of runs in this bottom of the fourth, we will not have this game. It's one out count. Yeah, <laughs> count. Kenley Cahalan's inside the park home run will never have happened oh. unless we get this game over with. Uh, so, yeah. That's why Coach Murphy brought up Montana. He was like, get three outs as yes, fast now. as you can. Boom, boom, boom. Nine, nine pitches if possible, please. <laughs> I've got a couple. Okay. Right. I did not write down specific comments because it was honestly kind of hard to sort through. Uh, SID Extraordinary Nathan Sheehan is doing his best with the spam, but it was really overpowering oh, yeah. this week. I got some on my personal when I just posted really? that, Yeah, that, hey, this game's coming up at three, and then three people posted a stream that didn't exist zuckerberg if you're listening come on clean that up yes that's actually legit off the wall right so what was like the biggest complaint that i saw after the lehigh game hire a hitting coach still can't hit what alabama had 10 hits in that game they had enough hits in totality to win now some of the situational hittings you know i think it was it was one for six with runners in scoring position, that's not great. But I generally think the offense is pretty good all weekend long, and that includes the Lehigh game. Yeah, that 10 hits, and I don't think a single one was a slap. They were all yeah swinging away hits. Barreled up. Some people hate slapping for some reason. There was the one Callie Hevlin bunt, and right. that's it. Everything else was barreled up. Right. The four runs were scored off two two-run homers. Yeah. Normally, you score four against Lehigh, that's going to be good enough to win the game. Yeah, this was, you know, I remember in past podcasts, we talked about it. There are going to be the rare occasions where things besides the offense are why Alabama loses, and that was what happened right. in that first game. Now, again, it's the very first game of the year, and there are a lot of things that we're going to see corrected. Again, I think in particular with the pitching, as all the pitchers and as Lance McMahon get more comfortable with each other in actual in-game scenarios. But the, I didn't see a darn thing about anything else you know, specifically called out, it was all specifically mentioning the offense, which I thought was, not was good enough to win yeah. that game. Yeah. Um, just the generalness of people having their go-to complaints and regardless of what happens in the game, they're going to complain about it. Kind of sure. you know, like you were talking about. Uh, there was one person who wanted Patrick Murphy fired because – Alabama lost the first game of the year. When was the last time that happened? And a, another poster responded with the facts of when that actually happened. And that was in, in 2010. Alabama hosted Missouri for a three-game series to open the season and got swept. 
by Ooh. by the at the time Big Twelve Missouri Tigers. That team must have sucked, Tom. Oh, you were the yeah. Now they did not do anything except win the SEC and be the number one seed in the NCAA tournament. So let's not dismantle the program because there was a a tough game to open the season. And then the response to the oh that's right, but still fire Murphy anyway. We can't we can't hit. And again, yes. Yes, they could. As a matter of fact, Alabama's had a nine-run inning for the first. I don't remember the last time we had a nine-run inning, and the thirteen runs were the most that Alabama's had in a game uh, since twenty twenty-one as well. So, yeah. Again, I mean, the offense was fine. You just you know had a had an off day in one of the games, pitching wise, mm. and it wasn't even that badly off. Yeah, just a couple of mistakes, which happens sometimes, and you know sometimes you make mistakes and you can still throw a shutout. Sometimes you make mistakes and they take advantage. Right. I took advantage. But there was a lot of that. And also people wanting Alabama to control the weather, which I don't know how that can happen. I've tried. Uh, Yes. I want to talk about the fatalist mentality, not just for the season, but for Clearwater. So a lot of people were like, oh, there goes the season. Who cares? And to that, I say, reflect back on 2010. But in particular, a lot of people are going on and on. It's like, oh my gosh, if Alabama can't get through this, how are they going to do in Clearwater? It's Clearwater, Clearwater. Alabama might be lucky to win a game. They might go 0-5. Alabama could be the 0-5 team this year, Tom. And I want to look back at 2020 because let's recall the feeling that we had in that bus leaving Tallahassee. No. Pretty low, pretty just like dragged emotionally. We are in despair on this bus. We have seen Alabama lose in heartbreaking fashion. People are saying literally the same things they're saying this weekend about this team. And we go to Clearwater. And Alabama, in the second game of the event, upsets the number one team in the country in run rule fashion. Mm. With not their ace pitching, by the way. <laughs> now, did that trip end great? No. A part of that was because I think UCLA made Alabama lose twice. They did not bounce back against Oklahoma no. State. No. But still, Alabama is going to have some chances to beat teams. And to say that there isn't precedent of them doing that is untrue. We have literally seen Alabama team off to a worse start, find a way to win bigger games than they will have this weekend. Because the best ranked team they'll play is number two, UCLA. That win 2020 was over number one, Washington. So to use one weekend as a reflection and as an immediate insinuation how the future weekend will go doesn't bear any weight with me because we have evidence of the contrary. And I say, you know, just wait for Clearwater, see how it plays out. If Alabama loses, then you can be disappointed. If Alabama wins, then don't be like, well, wow, this is a surprise. I mean, it's really not because we've seen it happen before. Yeah. You kind of work through some growing pains. There's a lot of new players. There's eight new players on this mm-hmm. team, you know, and a lot of them did really well, uh, but there's going to be growing pains. And that's, you know, Lauren Esman hadn't pitched in a D1 softball game in three years. Yeah. So let's, let's, let, let's let them kind of grow into the team that they're going to be. Yeah. I think that we have seen that as well in the past i do think of 2021 that was a team that was good but not great and they became great 
right. as the season went on. This is a team that I think is good and certainly has the potential to be great, and they have the capability to grow into that role. It's all about them doing it, and we'll see how it plays out. And there's no way to, to prove it, but we've always said as disappointing as a lot of 2020 was when Alabama won, beat Arkansas two out of three in two run rules, the last ended up being the last week of the season, we thought Alabama was about to, about yeah. to really start rolling. So that sometimes it takes a little while for teams to gel. Sometimes teams gel really early and then lose it late, which is what happened to Alabama in 2022. Absolutely. Would you rather, would you rather it happen early or late? I think, I think now that we've seen it both ways. One last thing. I have also seen Alabama and called them with you and on TV, Alabama lose games like that. Now it's, I've literally never seen it opening weekend, but I've seen Alabama lose games like that. You referenced the South Alabama game. Uh, we talked uh, extensively about what 2012 did, losing to Fordham and Georgia State. Uh, I would say of all of the losses that I have seen in a very long time at the University of Alabama, I was really encouraged by the reaction from the players and the coaching staff. It wasn't like, a, oh, here we go again, like a lot of you people out there. Which would have been easy considering how 2022 ended. Right. It was, okay, we know what we have to work on. Let's do it. Right. I feel perfectly fine. Yeah. No, no panic pushing yet at the clubhouse is it time i think i think it's time okay tom one could argue that the official who threw the flag at the super bowl is a rude boy oh you could rihanna joke Mm. well done this is the only episode this will ever happen (laughs) don't add rihanna jokes to your bingo card (laughs) no tom talk about the officiating the officiating okay so this does stem from the Super Bowl, which we got both got our picks wrong because I'm now 0 for 2 in podcast history in Super Bowl picks. Very, <laughs> but it happened because of a very ticky tack foul at the end of the game. But this goes back to my officiating rant that I've had about all sports, and we are seeing it at all levels, and especially at the highest levels, and doesn't get any higher than the Super Bowl. Uh, so that's what ties it into to softball. It ties it into college football college basketball, uh, NBA, all of these, is that officiating at the highest levels of sport have not progressed at the level that the athlete has. It's in addition to not just the officials, the valuations have not um, progressed as they should have either, um, because this goes back even to this past college football season. How does the officiating crew that called the Alabama-Tennessee game, which not just from Alabama fans, but from pretty much anybody that watched that game, said it was really poorly officiated. The game was too fast for the officials that were that were trying to call the game. What evaluations happen that give them the biggest game in the SEC the next week and give them a college football playoff game, in which officiating was a big mm-hmm. storyline in the Michigan Tech-TCU game? Huge. You're discussion right. just massive that. right so i'm wondering what is the evaluation process is there are there politics involved is there something outside of evaluating what they're doing in the game that is putting our less than best officials in the biggest games and this is all sports and i think that's what happened with the super bowl because 
the the stat was put out before the game that that officiating crew had thrown the most flags for the last two years in mm. the NFL per game. If you're the if you're the NFL, you don't want the Super Bowl to be a flag fest. No, you you want it settled on the field. Um, and it was a very inconsistently called game. There were several plays earlier that were much more egregious than the holding that was called. Uh, and then just when it, for that to happen, because that basically gave the game to Kansas City. Yeah, it was over. You know, had that call not been called, it's an incomplete pass. They kick the field goal. Jalen has a minute and a half to go down and try to either tie the game or win it. Now, does the whole does the whole game fall on that one play? No. The Eagles should have stopped him much earlier. I don't know how you let a man on one leg run for 25 yards. Yes. So there, I mean, there, there's, and that's, I've heard a lot of Eagles say that and I, and I appreciate that. And I think that's one of the reasons why people, even those that don't have an affiliation with Alabama that are enjoying that the Eagles have four Alabama players on their team and Jalen in particular, but that everyone seems to like what this team is. You can't make that call that, that situation. You got to have some sort of, game awareness as an official Mm. and i think that's one of the main things that officials don't have at all levels but in general i just don't think officiating has progressed at the same level that the athlete has in all sports and then there also needs to be more scrutiny on how these officials are being evaluated and assigned to what games are being assigned to and to your point about that i have not seeing if there are any punishments out, but I'm very curious to see the crew assignment for the officials in the Duke, Virginia basketball game that we saw this past weekend where shocker. I mean, this Duke got hosed. (laughs) Yeah. They should have been shooting free throws on a foul that occurred before the clock hit zero and the officials reviewed it and said, no, we're just going to overtime. And the ACC came out with a statement and said, you know, this was a mistake. Both schools know it. We will move on. Right. And okay, like, yeah, you have to put out those whoops, we done messed up again statements. Uh, but, you know, will we see that crew again for Duke, North Carolina in a couple weeks? I mean, right. where where are they going to pop up? You know, that's a pretty egregious mistake for a Duke team that was trying to win a game at top 10 Virginia and move up their seeding lines, which I think right now they're projected seventh or eighth in most bracketologies. Uh, If you're Duke, you don't want to be an eight. No. And they had a chance to maybe avoid that permanently, barring a collapse with a road win at Virginia, and they didn't get it. Uh, That's another, I think, you know, test case of what you're talking about. There seems, yeah, there seems to be a lack of accountability because, you know, mistakes happen. Uh, We're not expecting people to be perfect. But when there is a, you know, rule application mistake like that, uh, there, there should be some consequences. Another issue that I have, and this is a college basketball issue, this was a, a couple weeks ago, I uh, saw they, they talked about, and I can only remember what game this was, but John Higgins was the, was the crew chief in this officiating in this game. It was, I think, Texas Baylor. They went through what his week was officiating basketball. He, he was at Rutgers on Tuesday, at, at San Diego on Wednesday, at Oregon State Thursday, at Stanford on at Stanford on Saturday, at Purdue on Sunday, and then the next night was at Texas. Gah. Yeah, so he had one day off and he went cross country twice. How are we expecting these officials to be 
physically at their at their best when they have to work that much yeah and and are are it'd be one thing if they were calling games and they were all like in the state of california or they were all in texas or something but they're going across country just to fly is exhausting they're they're flying commercial which is that's a whole nother thing Mm -hmm. but you know they're doing all this how are we expecting these officials to be at their best when they've called six games in seven days in three different time zones Mm. there's not enough well-trained officials that can play that can officiate these top level games it's just that it is an issue at all levels of sport it's an issue in softball uh, we talk about all the time is like we watch a game where uh, umpire has just a terrible strike zone very inconsistent very small something like that and then all of a sudden oh look they're calling the world series game yeah they're calling the championship they're calling series. the olympics right our evaluations need to change our officials need to get better in general uh whether it's better physical fitness whether it is you know an earlier retirement age I'm not sure what it is, but there's there has to be something done about the officiating in general because the athletes aren't getting slower. It's, everything's going to get be faster and faster, yeah. and we got to figure out a way to fairly call these games, especially in the Super Bowl things like that. The issue should not be officiating; it should be who who what's the better team. We should be talking about the result of the game and about Rihanna today. Hmm. Instead, we're just talking about the officiating and, and Rihanna. <laughs> And learn to grow grass. Yeah. Well, Oklahoma State, what is you doing? <laughs> Come on. And like, and this isn't a new thing for, for Glendale. No, either. we saw it in that Michigan Tech right. TCU game. I, I, I love, I, football should be played on grass, 100%. Amen. Not grass we have to paint. But not grass that is painted and like <laughs> ice, like Leslie Nope is about to go out and give a campaign speech. Get on your feet. Harrison Butker got hurt on that field because he slipped. Right. In week two. I thought it was more of a chance of him slipping on the game-winning field goal than than Philadelphia blocking it. You good? I think so. Okay. That's off the wall. This is coming from a guy who was the intramural official of the year in 2002 at the University Heck of Heck yeah. Wear that yes. crown with pride. Get I, your diploma. I've called my fair share of church league basketball <laughs> block or charge sir <laughs> yes yes both <laughs> that's not a thing that's why i'm calling church league and not d1 oh boy if i'm gonna fly from <laughs> rutgers to san diego i need a hefty check <laughs> oh man i can't imagine that trip oh my. and then and then you know who can pretty soon ucla and usc that's true <laughs> That's that true. That's not that yeah. far off from that Big Ten road trip. That's an in-conference trip coming up <laughs> in a couple of years. I thought it's a long way to Columbia, Missouri. Oh, boy. Oh, I'm going to die if Alaska Anchorage just added to the SEC <laughs> or something. There might be an on-the-road show in Clearwater. We'll see a lot of plates are in the air pertaining to that event this weekend. But, Tom, we are going to be on the radio together for five games, you could argue the biggest five games of Alabama's non-conference season. We will be there for all of it, including the primetime matchup between Alabama and Florida State. And if the people out there want to tune in, how do they do it? If, if only there was a way. Oh, man. Yes. Is there a button to press or something, man? Multiple buttons. What? Yes. Okay. You can listen 
on regular radio over the air in Who? the city of Tuscaloosa. Yeah, radio? Yes, FM radio, 97.5 FM. In That's the city still of a thing? Yes. Wow. And you can do that there. Uh, you can also listen streaming-wise at nick975.com or on the MeTV 97.5 app. And you can get, App? Yes. On your phone? On the phone. You oh, can do that. Man. So just go to the website, rolltide.com. On the schedule page, there is a link to all the live audio. Just, just push the button. Is it on TV? Some of them are. <laughs> but I don't have anything to do with that. Not this week. Then. Turn the GoPro around, man. <laughs> Not not allowed to. Okay, thank you for answering here is, my dumb AF questions. <laughs> here here is the rundown of our rights agreement with the SEC on why <laughs> we can't just turn the GoPro or the uh, the booth cam around. I'm gonna just have copies. I just like hand out to people. <laughs> just here you go. It's like here's the official policy of the Southeastern Conference. We can call multiple office employees if we mm. need to have it validated. Right. Let's ring up John Gibson, see what he says. <laughs> and he'll be like, why are you calling me? JG's like, no, thank you. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of this. You're right. End of story. Okay. And of course, we will have the stuff for you. I'm going to bring the shirts. I've got some koozies and a couple stickers left in the new backpack, along with a very important cord. Yes. And we'll be tossing all that out if you want to come say hi, whether you're an Alabama fan or a fan of other teams. We mm. know that some people do tune in, uh, whether it be Arkansas fans or Mississippi State fans or maybe even UCLA fans out there tuning in. Please come by and say hello, just not during an Alabama game, because we will be on the air and based on our setup, uh, we might barely be able to hear ourselves. Right. So we need to be fully focused. Yes, it's going to be a lot of fun as we are right behind home plate on, on a table or in left field. But we will see the movement of the pitches. Yes. I will know if it's a rise or not. I have even greater respect for Megan Fremo because I saw it real up close that what her movement on those pitches were. How did that do that? Right was my analysis multiple times. <laughs> and of course, we'll be tweeting all throughout from the podcast account at outofthebox underscore pod. And Tom, you will be tweeting as well. Yes, from T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter, C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y. I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Thank you to our guest, Chris Plank, J-D-H. Final oh. thoughts, Tom, ahead of Clearwater? It's a real meat grinder, Gray. It is indeed. The book Meat Grinder. <laughs> Not Out now. Not featured on this podcast. No. I'm sure it's a great read. <laughs> I'll stick with my mysteries. I have not read Meat Grinder. I don't know what it's about. I can think of a lot of things it could be about. That is an inside joke for like four people that follow on Twitter, but we appreciate it. If you if you follow at out of the box underscore pot on Twitter, you'll get it. They have not deleted the tweet either. No one's noticed. <laughs> not us but thank you for the <laughs> for the publicity <laughs> thank you to all the listeners to Chris Plank and JDH and to the meat grinder for all you have done here on the second episode of our fifth season Clearwater is how coming up how did we get up. 99 episodes how <laughs> I can't believe next week is 100. <laughs> we might be canceled before then, but it's going to be a heck of an episode. Tell your friends. The 100th episode spectacular. I got a bunch of funny crap planned. I'm ready. Stay tuned. Until then, we'll see you in Clearwater. It's the biggest non-conference party in softball. We certainly hope you'll tune in all weekend long. Until next time, 
from our partner, Tom Canterbury. I'm Gray Robertson. We'll see you at the beach, unlikely, but maybe, at the field, and next time on the Outbox Podcast.